Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the stacks. This is Jay. Along with the Shanagonian, we got a two for one there. Oh, nice. That's a good one. Yeah, that's decent. That's pretty good. Uh, better, you know, uh, we, we haven't had a lot to work with recently. We haven't. Say. Uh, but our first film, as suggested there, is Yokai Monsters Along With Ghosts. I, I want to say that's probably kind of the, the idea of the title. It's Yokai Monsters Along With Ghosts. But really, it's just Yakuza Along With Ghosts. It's... Yokai Monster replaced with ghosts. Uh, Yokai Monster is supplanted by ghosts. Uh, None of our favorites are in this one. No Umbrella Monster. I can't believe it. No Neck Lady. Ah. Uh, yeah. Uh, disappointing in that regard. Uh, this is pretty much not a Yokai movie. It's just got similar effects to the other Yokai movies. Uh, and. Uh, it's from the same director as the first one, 100 Monsters. This feels a lot more like the first one than the second one, but it also feels Quite like... Quite a bit more. also feels like Zatoichi minus Zatoichi. So the the reason for that is uh, director Kimiyoshi Yasuda is it's co-directed Kushiyuki, or Yoshiyuki Kuroda and Kimiyoshi Yasuda. Yasuda directed 100 Monsters and six entries in the Zatoichi series. Oh, no kidding. Although he's best known for making Daimajin, which is a sort of kaiju movie, but like the kaiju is a giant terracotta statue man. Okay, that sounds cool. Yeah, we, we got that. Yeah, we, we've got those in the stacks somewhere too. Um, but yeah, this one's kind of just a straight kaidan. It's a ghost movie. There, There's very little that's uh, not just a, a straightforward ghost story in this one. Mm-hmm. Like, and the ghosts are barely in it. Right. Uh, it takes a very long time for them to show up, and then they really only do a couple things. It's kind of just a haunted forest movie. It basically. People spill some blood in a sacred place and get cursed. And that's, that's kind of it. You know, it's, it's pretty basic. Well, no, you got like the whole interpersonal Yakuza hierarchy, which is super complicated. There are uh, there there are more convolutions in the plot than you would expect. Uh, there there's so much interpersonal bullshit, and it, it like starts really atmospheric. And I think it is a movie that has a pretty good atmosphere. Uh, we we have just a ghostly cackle over the spoopy forest, with the title appearing in deep red. Yep. And and like the credits moving through foggy trees and temples and stuff to get to our uh, old man who is obviously uh, the sacrifice, the the blood sacrifice to, you know, get the bad guys. To uh, to get them cursed or to make us really hate them. Yeah, I mean, like he's the one that that is like they're, they're going to draw blood in the sacred forest. And that's uh, he he's the person it's going to happen to. Uh, primarily well, he's one of the people that they, they right there's a they were going to draw blood if he was there or not but he has to be the one who warns them so that they yeah. don't heed the warning because that's another thing about a ghost story you have to be warned and not heed the warning yeah i mean exactly like in part one uh so we we, we have this old man praying in onizuka he's the guardian of this place as he will tell these four nefarious men who approach him because uh, they want to ambush someone at the spot he happens to be praying in. So it's like, buzz off, dude. We, we've got to kill some people here. 
Yeah, he, he even says to them, he's like, hey, wait, are you guys, like, hoping to ambush people and kill them? Because this is not the place for that. Yeah, he's like, this is a sacred forest. If you spill blood here, you're going to be cursed and stuff. I, I know this because I'm the guardian here. Uh, there, tonight especially, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. This This one particular night is, like, when all the spirits are converging or something. Yeah, like the forest ghosts are going to be joined by the mountain ghosts and the swamp ghosts. So, like, you really don't want to cause a problem tonight of all nights. But of course, yeah, but they they raided Mar-a-Lago and they've got my documents. Uh, I I accidentally gave all the contents of my phone. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, uh, it's exactly like part one. They just don't believe, and then the two the two dudes arrive like while they're talking to the old guy and he tries to stop them. And uh, I, I think it's probably the, the main like a uh, uh, samurai or a uh, Ronin bad guy who slashes him. Oh yeah. Cause, cause they have a Ronin too. Of course. Of course. Yeah. He's, he would be fighting Zatoichi if Zatoichi were here. Hundred percent. Like he is the rival samurai. It's just there isn't. Well, actually, there kind there of is. is another main guy samurai. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's no Zatoichi, but he's there. No, he's trying. Uh, but yeah, they're they're looking for an important document. This this very important MacGuffin. It's evidence in some sort of trial against them. Uh, and yeah, especially this week watching this movie, uh, that resonated pretty funny. <laughs> uh, we're we're one day out from the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago, which was a whole thing. And last week was Alex Jones giving the entire contents of his phone uh, to the the prosecution. Just very funny. <laughs> no, it was his lawyer who did that. He, yeah, his his lawyer gave know. it. Yeah. Uh, and we we got the the to see him find out in real time, which is very oh funny. yeah, it's like no, you don't know how I got this information. I don't know how you got this information. Your lawyer gave it to me. Oh shit! So a, a sword fight breaks out, of course. Yep. Yep. Uh, they kill the guys who they were they were ambushing, uh, and they take the document, and they're like, wait, shit, that old man we stabbed is gone. He couldn't have got far, right? Yeah. Um, also, the, the document loves to blow away in the wind. Yeah. It's it, like it, the document's favorite thing to do. Yeah. It, it's it's like a, a pesky red balloon. It's it's just trying to get away. They're like they're they're about to put the bodies in the swamp, and like wind takes it, and it just starts flying away. And he like chases after it, gets it, and he stuffs it in his shirt. And they're like, oh, okay, whew, we're we're good. And they put the bodies in the swamp. And then, like, he reaches in, like, shit, it's gone again. <laughs> <laughs> so they have to go looking for it. Yep, and somehow the document ends up in the hands of this little girl Mio. for about ten seconds. Yeah, she doesn't have it long. It's sort of, like, it blows into her possession, and they find her with it. And they like, oh, I mean, she's definitely a witness to what happened here, so uh, we're, we're going to have to take the little girl and the document. So she goes hiding. Yeah. But like she does not keep the document. I don't no, think she, like, <laughs> No, she doesn't. She she just drops it on the ground. I, I don't think she, I feel like she can't even probably can't even read and has no idea what it is. She's like six. 
Yeah. She has no idea what any of this is about. Uh, but like they're distracted because there's this big flashing light that's like ball lightning or something. And the document just floats away. <laughs> we we see it floating independently through the forest with no one around. <laughs> yeah, um, it's gonna it's gonna show up again, but really, yeah, I mean, the MacGuffin is the girl. The, the girl is the main MacGuffin. This is sort of like an extra one because those guys are always after it. They just don't know that the forest has it the whole time because yeah. it is the curse. Like it's mm. it's part oh, of yeah. the enactment of the curse. So the girl Mio. She returns home, and it turns out the guy they slashed was her grandfather, who's wounded and dying. But managed to make it to the house somehow. And yeah. managed to make it look like he teleported there. Yeah, maybe he did. Uh, maybe he haunted did. Maybe forest. He did. That's and true. She needed, he needed to be here to tell her the important uh, MacGuffin rules. So she's got to go to Yui, where she can find her father in the home of Haritatsu. Yeah, and uh, she and he gives her these uh, these dice, which is another MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. These trick uh, dice. Yep, and it's like you show this to him, and he'll immediately know that he's your father. Yeah, and and the guy's name is Tohachi, and he doesn't know about you because you're you're death you're you're uh, at birth. We faked your death, and and I kept you because. Uh, you know, you don't even need to know about that. It's fine. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't worry about why this guy isn't in your life. Yeah. And then he dies. And the thugs yes. show up, but she is just on her way out, so they, they just miss her. Mm-hmm. So we've got Boss Hiru, uh, Higuruma, who's our main bad... Like, he he's the boss of the bad guys. He's yep. the guy looking for the document uh, that will... I don't know, put him in jail. We don't really know what it is he's accused we of. We never find out what the document is. Um, yeah, it's apparently proof of some crimes he committed. It's, it's <laughs> you know, it's the printout of his Twitter account. Yeah, exactly. So he meets Sekichi, who's very important. And Sekichi's like, so how, how did the assassination of Nihai go? Uh, and he's like, oh yeah, no, it went fine. But, you know, we, we, we encountered some problems. There's this girl we have to track down and the document and everything. He's like, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, by the way, there's this Hyakutaro guy showing up. Uh, he, he's been out of town. He's one of Nihai's guys, but he's a real troublemaker. Watch out for him. Uh, well, that's fine. We got a rival samurai for him. Yeah, exactly. And Hiruma's like, okay, uh, Saikichi, you go ambush Hyakutaro uh, at Fujikawa Inn, and then we'll, we'll give you the Nihai clan. It'll be all yours. <laughs> and he walks away. And then he, like, turns to his other two guys and is like, Hyakutaro's going to beat the shit out of Saikichi. You guys go. And, uh, or no, Kanzo, you go. The the, the baddie samurai. It's like, you yeah. go. He, he's going to get killed. It, it, it'll be fine. <laughs> we're, we're obviously not giving the Nihai clan to him. Come on. <laughs> well, we're just saying the shit so that he brings us the document. Yeah. And so we, we cut to a nearby inn where we meet Hyakutaro, who <laughs> has a weird visitation. I guess this is sort of the first ghost thing, but it's it's kind of just a vision. Uh, yeah. It, what exactly? Shoot. I have, what happens to him here? I don't remember. OK, so he is visited by a flying severed head and. He's like, whoa, shit. And then, like, he looks down at his sake and, like, Oh, blood. yeah, the sake's, like, 
blood. Blood just sort of blooms in his sake. And he's like, whoa, shit, that's weird. I must still be drunk. And he hears his name being whispered in the hallway. I love he finishes the sake once he realizes it's not actually bloody. Yeah, he's like, I must still be drunk. That's that's ridiculous. Let's finish this. Clearly not drunk enough. Yeah. So he goes outside. Too much drink. Yeah, too much breakfast. Uh, (laughs) Too much gasoline drinks. Uh, But yeah, he goes out in the hallway. The lights flicker on and off. We see like there's a piece of wood that snaps in half. It's like something's weird. But not really a ghost thing, and we don't get anything sort of even yokai-esque yet. I mean, the the flying severed head, kinda, kinda. Kinda, yeah. We don't really, actually, I think it's around the 40-minute mark that we see our first This Is Definitely Ghosts. I think it's 20-something. I have it written down when we get there. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, But we, we get to the next morning where Mio runs along another important character, because there's so many important characters. Uh, this is a young boy who's eating by the roadside, and I absolutely did not get his name. I don't know if he's ever referenced as anything other than just boy. Uh, I don't know if he is, but he seems to... I don't know what his deal was before he met her, but now he's like, okay, well, I'm going to take you... I'm suddenly decided I'm going to take you to the city and protect you. He's like boy samurai. Kind of, yeah. He's like, got a cool knife. Yeah. And he knows when to u- when not to use it. That's very important later. And and he's good at like evading the bad guys and like sort of uh, uh, just telling them the wrong information and passing them on and stuff. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't trust him at first. She she like tells him that she's going to UE. And he's like, sure, I'll, I'll give you a lift. I'll, I'll give you some food. It's weird that you're a six-year-old girl just wandering out in the middle of nowhere. And she refuses and runs away. And then, like, the two thugs. like So there's, like, three different parties looking for her at this point. Cause there's, they all work for the boss, but they, they all work for the same guy. together. They're, they're working against each other. So yeah, there's, there's Kanzo, the, the samurai guy. Yeah. There's... Seikichi, who, very important character, but completely incompetent for most of the movie. Yeah, he, he kind of sucks. Um, and there's, he kind of sucks a lot. He sucks. Uh, it's it's sort of a big problem. But there, And then there's these two guys who are always together, uh, Gorokichi uh, and Manta. Bebop and Rocksteady. They're, yeah, they're, they're those guys. Uh, and they show up looking for uh, Mio with, to the boy. He's like, I'm pretty sure she came this way. He's like, nope, didn't see her. But then like they're just immediately like, huh, weird. Okay, weird. That's strange. Uh, But then she's sheltering from the rain at a cabin and they happen to also shelter from the rain at the exact same cabin. So it kind of just doesn't work out anyways. Yeah. And they hear her and they do capture her and they're like starting to smack her around. But then Hyakutaro arrives and he's like. You know, they 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 pull their swords out and he doesn't take his out. He just starts punching them. It's like it's not even worth the trouble here. He kicks their asses. Yeah, he 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 punches the shit out of both of them. And like when he finally does pull his sword, they just run away. <laughs> so yeah, you know it, it is bebop and rocksteady behavior. They are like sort of the bottom rung, which is crazy when you consider Saikichi. Yeah, these but, guys are lower than Saikichi, and Saikichi's oh, like... 
I, I guess the thing is that Saikichi is a double agent. Like he's technically not in their clan. Yeah, he's Nihai. just right. But yeah, he he's kind of like Hyakutaro's. I kind of got the idea that he was Hyakutaro's friend or former friend. I I think they're both in the Nihai family. And Saikichi is a double agent for Higuruma. So that's what he's saying. Like, he's going to reward his treachery by making him the head of the clan. But he actually has no intent of doing that. He's just going to kill yeah. him off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, again, yeah, really complicated interpersonal politics through all of these characters. There's a whole bunch of stuff. And yet everybody's so focused on the girl, nobody even considers that she doesn't have the document anymore. No, not a, not once. Until it shows up later. Yeah. And like so many times she'll tell her, she's like, what the piece of paper are you even talking about? Yeah. They're like smacking around. It's like, I don't know about any document. I'm six. Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was a recipe for a gasoline cocktail. Yeah. So uh, Hyakutaro takes her to the inn and she tells him, you know, the, the whole story about her dad, who's named Tohachi and he got the dice and everything. Her mother died in childbirth, so she never met her, and she's never met the dad. And Hyakutaro's like, oh, I'm, my heart's breaking. Can I adopt you? She's like, I'll try finding my real dad first. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Hyakutaro well, would be gonna... a better choice, though. <laughs> you know, when you find out who your dad is, you're going to wish you took him up on his offer there. But, like, she still has the opportunity uh, at, at every point, and, like, she like chooses the real dad, even though he is scum. <laughs> like, it's it was a good good idea for him to be taken away. I guess like we could say that he sort of redeems himself in how willing he is to die for her by the end. But like, you know, <laughs> it takes a while to get there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, too willing to die for her, actually, if you ask me. Oh yeah, he he does not want to he, like he would rather die than raise her uh, ultimately <laughs> yeah. is, is my theory yeah no i fucked up too bad please uh please just kill me i don't know how to i, I yeah. can't i can't raise a kid in this economy yeah uh so uh Hyakutaro and um uh mio mio Hyakutaro and mio they're like traveling and they meet saikichi at a crossroads and this is where it sort of seems like maybe they're old friends because Hyakutaro is asking about the boss, Nihai. He's like, I have a really weird feeling. This this severed head flew at me the other night and there was blood in my socket. I don't know. Uh, is is he all right? And Saikiji's like, oh, yeah, he's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely didn't get ambushed in a haunted temple. No, no not possible. And he also tells Seikichi a little bit about the girl. She's like, she's looking for her father who's in Yui, but she's being pursued by these thugs from the Hiraguma family. And I don't know if Saikichi knows that they're looking for the girl yet. I'm not sure if they mentioned that part of it to him. Actually, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Because the girl sort of walks away and then, like, uh, Hyakutaro is down kind of tying his shoe or something and Saikichi tries to attack him from behind but he blows it and runs away <laughs> <laughs> oh he's so lame and then like uh, 
uh, what's uh, what's the guy's name? I can never remember. Konzo. Uh, Konzo comes out of hiding a- after seeing Saikichi blow it. He's like, or, or no, I guess he didn't see him because like he he runs into him after he's run away. And he's like, I need you to identify Hyakutaro for me because I know you're not capable of defeating him. So like, bring me to where he is and point at him and I'll deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I don't know what he looks like. We don't have social media. Yeah. Uh, and we, we don't have cameras yet. Uh, and then... You know, after that, he's like, okay, okay, well, well, we'll, I think they're all planning to meet up somewhere. And then Saikichi then runs into the other two people. Saikichi's just running to everybody along this road. (laughs) He he runs into Bebop and Rocksteady. And they're like, hey, want to team up and kill Hyakutaro and abduct the little girl? Uh, The the boss is really looking for her. It would be good for you. And he's like, oh, you know, that would probably be better than if uh, Kanzo does it, because, uh, uh, Kanzo's just showing us all up. It's not good. <laughs> uh, so at the next inn, uh, there's there's someone waiting from Hiragama or Hiragoma rather to see Hyakutaro. Like uh, they they know he's coming. So there there's someone there, and he's gone to go see them and has left Mio in the room. And Saikichi sneaks in and just takes her. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> Because, like, she didn't see the fight. She had walked away, yeah. so she doesn't know. Like, he said something about her, him just having to run off. Uh, like, he was looking for something. Just like, did you find the thing you were looking for? Oh, but, yeah. He's uh, like, what? Uh, oh, yeah, d- sure. what uh, no, yeah, yeah, no. Yes? Like, what a shitty end, though. Because, like, uh, Hyakutaro goes back up to his room. He's like, where'd the little girl who was in my room go? And he's like, the, the inn lady who runs the place says, like, Oh, yeah, some guy took her. <laughs> she left with some man. Like, are you kidding? What? Yeah, I guess they, they haven't uh, come up with the concept of stranger danger yet. I suppose not. Uh, so Hyakutaro runs out looking for her and he runs into Kanzo. And like, he's like, I, I don't I don't know who hired you, but I seriously don't have time for this. Like, I, I'm not interested. And. Kanzo full out. He's like, oh, yeah, Saikichi took her. So he's totally outed Saikichi as a double agent. Yeah. This guy's real bad about, like, uh, letting secrets go. Oh, yeah. He even gets called out on it later. And he's like, it doesn't matter. I'm going to kill him eventually. Yeah. And it's like, dude, but who knows how many more people like th- this is evidence spreading. Well, then I'll just have to kill all those people, too. I guess so. And and they have a very brief fight. It's it's pretty cool because it's dusk in the town, so there's just very sparse background light, and you you just can barely see them fighting. Mm-hmm. And then Kyakataro just runs away. He's like, I, I just I just I don't have time for this, and and he runs off because he's got to find Saikichi. It's like it's like in those video games where you you just want to get to the next town, but you keep having all these stupid random encounters, and it's like, fuck off, skeleton. <laughs> I, I, I feel like uh, uh, Kanzo's kind of like proto-man. Like you, you get oh, into yeah. this one room, it's like, oh, god damn it. And you have like this brief little fight. He's like, I don't have time for this. And you move on. But you, you never actually defeat him. Yeah. That's kind of like that, yeah. So uh, in the forest, um, Mio and Saikichi 
are are like Mio's trying to get away and lightning strikes when she's calling for help, which means the forest is kind of working in her favor, clearly. And it suddenly gets really dark. Oh, yeah. Here's here's where we start seeing some. Yeah, like I, I would say one of the things that this movie does really well is it does have some genuinely spooky moments. Mm -hmm. Uh, so like it gets super dark and he starts to get lost and he's like going around in circles and he starts sweating like she's suddenly really heavy on his back and like she leans forward and is like I'll get heavier (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh that's spooky (laughs) yeah that's 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 a little creepy there (laughs) and he he starts going one direction he's like no, no, Hamamatsu is to the right, not to the left. He's like, what? What are you talking? How do you even know that? It's like, if you go, you'll know. It's <laughs> like, okay. And then a snake wrapped around a bird falls out of a tree right in front of them. And he's starting to freak out. And like, again, she she leans into him because like, he's starting to get freaked out. He's getting like starting to move really fast. And he's like, if you hurry, you'll get tired. And he's like, shut up. <laughs> Stop and, doing creepy girl shit. And like to crown this, which is like the perfect, I, I would say the best spooky moment in the whole movie is like, he tells her to shut up and then he turns and he sees her uh, a little ways ahead in the trees, like another her. <laughs> yep. And there's like this moment and he looks you know and sees that she is still on his back and he looks again and she's disappeared so he like starts moving and is like i must be seeing things and then there's a whispering voice around he's like no that's not it it's <laughs> <laughs> like oh my god <laughs> so he turns and at 31 minutes we finally see our first yokai paper mache ghost thing (laughs) (laughs) is this is this the one with like the huge forehead i think yeah it's on his back because it it replaced mio i guess when the lightning struck must be Uh, the uh the yokai designs of this one i find aren't as interesting they don't have as distinct a character i guess probably because they're not as based on you know, known historical yokai figures. I guess, yeah, that, that could be. Because, like, a lot of the ones that we're familiar with, those are classic folklore characters. Oh, yeah. Whereas I mean, these are just ghosts. In video game Neo, you fight the umbrella thing, it's a bitch. <laughs> so the thing that's on his back, the, the yokai ghost thing, uh, it says to stop it, your evil ways. I'm going to send you to hell. And then it disappears. And Saikiji just starts slashing wildly at the wind and the lightning, <laughs> starts running away in terror. And as he runs away, we just see a group of ghosts that just sort of all appear in all of the bushes and trees. And that's pretty much mainly what we see of them in this movie. There's just shots of them all appearing and kind of just lurking. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that's about that's about all they do. There <laughs> is a fight i guess with the ghosts at the very end but it's not really a fight scene it's more like just a extreme haunting scene it's a haunting i i would say it's kind of similar to in sartana when he waits for the guys who are supposed to ambush him in the barn and just kind of makes them kill each other it's sort of like that kind of 
like that. Yeah. So we see Mio. She's she wakes up in the forest like she she's just asleep on the ground somewhere and she's watched over by this uh, totally still ghostly figure who's way up in the foreground. It's a pretty cool shot. Like she's in a clearing and you just see like the head in the foreground. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. And she's she's calling for Uncle Hyakutaro. He's been promoted to uncle already. He's already uncle. Uh, so at Hamamatsu, we see the other thugs and like, huh, wonder what happened to Saikichi. I thought he had the girl. Wasn't there? He, he seemed to have this whole thing figured out. And there's Did this. Did he, really, though? <laughs> I guess. There's this weird shaggy bit where they, they run into this sumo wrestler guy and they're oh, asking the for the girl. Would- yeah, um, and, and they're just like saying is... we're looking for a girl about this tall, which is a weird way to say it, obviously. Yeah. And he takes her to this dwarf woman. Yeah, and she's all like, "Hey, I am this tall, so what? You don't want me?" She's really over the top. Like she is a character that feels like she came out of a completely different movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's got all this <laughs> rice stuck to her face. <laughs> like like um like Kung Fu Wonder Child or Lucky Seven is where she belongs. Very, very, yeah. And and yeah, she she like they have this whole encounter with her because he brings her to them and it's like this isn't who we're looking for. What what the hell? We're looking for a little girl. And he's like, I'm a little girl. <laughs> or no, this isn't what a little girl looks like, and she like gets all huffy about it and it's weird. It's uh, like well, be more specific, come on. Yeah, like, come on, what a a strange way to say this then. And we see the boy from earlier. Uh, He's he happens to also be in the inn eating because he's looking for them, too. We have all of these different people looking for everybody. Mm -hmm. And then the dwarf lady goes outside and she runs into Mio and she's like, this is what an actual uh, seven year old girl looks like. Uh, (laughs) Because like to the, the sumo guy. Yeah. Because, like, the, the other guys are still inside, I guess. Uh, and I guess. And the sumo guy tells uh, Mio that Hyakutaro is looking for her. So he's already been through this once today, right? <laughs> I just think it's funny that they just looked at him and assumed he's a sumo wrestler. Right. Because no. he's just kind of a, a tubby guy, I guess. Slightly. <laughs> not even all that much. He, really. he does seem kind of built up. But, like, I I don't know how sly he is on this, because presumably Hyakutaro just asked a better question, because he knows that it's Mio he was looking for. But he yeah. doesn't say anything about the two guys that he was just talking to. <laughs> that could be it, yeah. Uh, but the boy comes out, and he's like, oh, I, I, I know her. I'll take her to Yui. I know that's where she's going. Listen, those two guys who were just asking about her, those guys are dangerous. Don't let them know anything. And then they they head out on the road. She she's like, okay, I I can trust you now, and we'll we'll go together. But then they run into the two thugs at the next sake shop, anyways. <laughs> yeah, because everybody's just going down the same road. Yeah, they're all going to UE. They know where they're going. <laughs> <laughs> and they just keep. They're basically walking side by side, but like just not quite running into each other until certain places. But all in the same area all the time. Like every time there's a stop in the road, several of them run into each other. Uh, and so, yeah, they, they run into the two Bebop and Rocksteady thugs and they do a whole hiding in barrels bit. You gotta. <laughs> you gotta, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> there's a moving barrel and the thugs start chasing that around, but then there's just a dog in it and it bites one of them. <laughs> Zany music. Wow, uh, wow. And but meanwhile, Mio and the boy have run into the forest and the, we see the boy throw away his sword as they pass the place of eight graves. Yep, yeah, And he's just like, hey, uh, I know I know I probably should carry this with me, but this place is haunted and I'm a kid, so I respect ghosts. Yeah. And the thugs pursue them in there. And he's like, you guys, you're carrying those blades. You will be cursed by the gods coming into this place carrying a blade. And they, they're they like, they blow and they pull their swords out and then the wind rises instantly. Mm-hmm. And they're startled enough at the in the moment that the boy just throws a handful of dirt at them and they run away. <laughs> uh, and then, like, they get cornered by the thugs, but then hands form on all the tree branches and start grabbing their arms. Yeah, and they're, like, chopping away, like, oh, shit! We are cursed! Uh, and, you know, the children run off while they're slashing... And they're like arguing with each other. It's like, there's no such thing as curses. And a voice in the forest goes, but there are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And then there's this bit where they like get down on their knees to one of the gravestones. Yeah. It's like, OK, look, we just want to kidnap this little girl. OK, can you please let us do that? We promise we'll just get out of here. I, I like that the, the forest is so sassy that it's always talking <laughs> back to people. Yes. <laughs> uh, like the one that says, but there are is I, it seems like maybe this guy was in the other ones. Was he like the big goblin headed guy? It's like a ghost goblin, big headed one. This is the kind of main one we see. And that feels like maybe one we might have saw in the first. But I, don't know. I think we might have seen the big hairy one eyed guy in okay. the first one, too. Maybe. maybe. We only see him for like a second here. Yeah, he's he's so great. He's like Snuffleupagus. Uh, but, so first they're, they get to this arch and we see them just pursued by a whole bunch of ghosts. Uh, there's this one really cool one that's got glowing orange eyes. It's really awesome. Yeah. And then like the, the gravestones all appear around them. Like they sort of materialize out of the air. And and right, this is when... Oh, this they, is when they, they kneel. Okay. They kneel... Uh, Gorokichi is the tougher one of the two, and he he's like issuing a challenge, uh, and and Mont is like yeah yeah okay, and and he requests safe passage from the gravestones, and and yeah it turns into this huge hairy monster with a googly eye, <laughs> <laughs> and like this big silly arm comes up and waves at the kids, <laughs> it's very snuffy, it's like, so snuffy, and the thugs like they hear the kids running and they think like oh. The gravestones uh, have agreed with us to let us just abduct the kids. And they say, thanks, gravestones. And they run (laughs) off. (laughs) And like they very quickly seem to corner them. There's these two kids cowering and Mio, in quotes, (laughs) brother, I'm scared. And the thugs turn them around and they have no faces. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, we have seen the faceless ones before. We totally have. They did that in the first one. Yeah. Uh, the tombs all start laughing. And then, like, they flicker and each of them transforms into a ghost yokai thing. Like, they're, they're ghosts, but they're done in the style of the yokai from the first movie. Yeah, just 
with I feel like I do feel like they have less character than those than those yokai. Well, you barely see them. They're kind of just silhouettes most of the time. Yeah. And and like they don't talk. You you just sort of get the voice of the forest. There, there's not like individual characters among them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're all just kind of the ghost force. Yeah. As one singular entity kind of. Yeah, it's fully just haunted forest rather than specific yokai or anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the ghosts all converge on the thugs. They try to fight them, but obviously they can't because they're intangible. <laughs> yeah, fighting ghosts doesn't usually work. Yeah, and and the ghosts ultimately dis- like they beat them and they're like surrendered and the ghosts are like we're going to allow you to live and leave this place. But you're like you got to stop your evil ways though. And like these guys do not stop their evil ways. <laughs> oh no, not at all. And it catches up with them. Yeah, I mean like I I don't know why they gave them this chance. Uh they should They know. already I mean they've already got cursed by a different forest. Back in the Is beginning. It, like, I don't even know if it's a different forest. I think they're all just one connected forest that they're going around or something. Because <laughs> it seems uh, to all be related. Yeah, it could be. It could or maybe be. the curse is just traveling along the road with them, just like everybody else is traveling along the same road. Could be. Uh, so uh, Hyakataro runs into Seikichi again. He's like, Where's Mio? Come on, dude. This is ridiculous. And, uh, you know, before he can give him any information, Kanzo shows up. I think it's Kanzo, right? I, I keep forgetting. I, like, I think, I think so. Close to that. And he's like, you know, Nihai's dead. Your Saikichi guy's a traitor. Uh, just so you know. <laughs> like, By the way, the people who did it are boss number. Boss named whatever, and he's got this document that it would totally incriminate him if anybody found it. That's what I'm looking for. Just so you're up to speed. Yeah, it's like he he's just spilling and like Saikichi's like, what are you doing? I, I can't believe you just told him that shit. Uh and he's and going again, to die anyway. Well, we don't have that yet. <laughs> Not yet, but that's what he's no. thinking. But yeah, that that's I guess his thought. But like Hyakataro has a very brief battle with him again. And he's like, I don't have time for this. And he leaves. <laughs> Get out of here, you mid boss piece of shit. Like, what are you doing? You are not good enough. I, I'm I, I'm just not interested. It's it's like uh, our guy in Backlash. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the kids arrive at UE finally and Saikichi spots them instantly uh, he tells the boy to find Hyakutaro and says to, t- and like he, he takes the girl and he tells the boy to tell Hyakutaro to find boss Hiraguma to get her back, which big blunder on his part. It's like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, here, I'll, I'll tell you where she's going to be. And it's like, I mean, I know you got to deal with this guy because now he knows way too much, but like. <laughs> you're really going about this in a bad way. Mm-hmm. And and he gets chewed out for it too. Like everyone's getting chewed out for this soon. Oh yeah. Uh, and Hyakutaro has mainly gone to uh, Horatatsu's house, you know, where Tohachi is supposed to be. And, and the and old Hort- man there. Yeah. Horatatsu. Yeah. The old man, Horatatsu is like, Oh yeah, no. Uh, to- what is it? Torichi? Tohachi. 
Tohachi. Tohachi, he's long gone. He left years ago. He's a Yakuza, didn't you know? Yeah, he, he had a really bad gambling problem, uh, and he became a Yakuza. I mean, uh, I already know about all the stuff with the girl. I never told him about it, but, like, yeah, I know the father-in-law had the little girl and adopted her. It's like, huh, everybody knows everybody else's shit except Tohachi. yeah oh man have you seen tohachi he's stupid he wouldn't know what to do with his information if he had it that's probably true and then the boy comes looking for tohachi too so finally he and hyakutaro meet up uh and he tells her or he uh he tells hyakutaro that uh uh, mio's been taken to kanba uh where where, uh boss hiraguma and everyone is and th- they cut to Kanba, where everyone's getting chewed out. It's like, you haven't gotten rid of Yakutaro yet? Are you kidding me? What the fuck, dude? <laughs> oh, I, I... I'll kill him eventually. And, like, and like this is um, uh, a Saikichi first. He's the one, and it's like, look, it's, it's all good. I'm going to use the little girl as a hostage to draw him here, and we'll use her as a shield. It'll be so easy. And, like, by the way, this, uh, this Kanzo guy told all of her shit to Hyakutaro. <laughs> and this is where he's like, I'm going to kill him anyway. Don't you worry. <laughs> and it's basically like, yeah, so are you going to kill every single other person he told and then all the people they told? And then, like, yeah. has anybody found the document? Nope. <laughs> uh, and and the, uh, like, I'm going to wait outside for him. I don't need a child hostage. You guys suck. <laughs> and Saikichi's plan is like, well, I can go beat the girl. I'll, I'll beat her up and we'll find out. She'll tell us about the document if I beat her enough. Yeah, great. Yeah, good, good, good. You're a good dude, Saikichi. You're real and they're dude. like, great. And he's like, I'm going to go do that. And the boss is like, we're definitely going to kill Saikichi once we've dealt with Hyakutaro, right? And, like, they're all like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah 100%. <laughs> he is, like, the worst one of us. There, There's a weird bit here. So, like, he goes to interrogate Mio, and the guard who's with her is throwing dice. And at first I thought maybe this meek, unnamed guard was going to turn out to be her dad. I kind of thought so... Because he's the only person you've seen in the movie throwing dice the whole movie. So far, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and of course, like, you know, Saikichi starts asking, he's like, I threw it away. Why would I keep it? I threw it. No way that you would throw away something so important. I don't even know what it is. Yeah, it's so important to me, though. It's like, I'm six. <laughs> <laughs> is it in this little bag? This dice bag? Right, and he finds the dice. He's like, where did you get these? And he realizes, of course, that he is her dad. Uh, And it immediately, like, to his credit, at least, he is immediately like, oh, fuck, I have to help you escape right now. Yeah, he's like, (laughs) I have fucked up my entire life now. Yeah, he's like, oh, I suck. I hate myself. I'm going to help you escape. I should die. Yeah, I should just die, but I'm going to get you out of here. And then and I'll beg for death. <laughs> yeah, he's caught immediately when because he, he's letting her out and they start beating him. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they, they corner her immediately because she's a small child. She can't get far. Oh, yeah. And the boss starts interrogating Seikichi, and he doesn't tell them 
that she's his daughter. He's just like, I just feel sorry for her, which, come on. <laughs> you were just, going to you beat came her. up with the idea to beat her. Everyone yeah. else was just kind of like, Egh. And they're all like, I don't buy it. <laughs> and they bring her back and is like, please, please let her go. And like they start asking her some questions. And she's like, well, my dad is this guy named Tohachi. And they're like, hey, didn't your name used to be Tohachi Saikichi? <laughs> <laughs> no mother would name their kids Saikichi. Come yeah, on. That's a joke name, you joke. And they find the dice on her. So like, well, let's let's roll for her. You know, if, if uh, she guesses the dice right, maybe she gets to go free. This feels like a Zatoichi scene right here, because it's the exact same totally. game they play. Absolutely. But uh, this has a this has a twist that I wasn't expecting. That I, I really I. liked. Yeah. So she chooses even uh, for three rounds. They they play three rounds. She wins each time, and they. And each time suspicious. it's like, well, that was the practice round. Yeah. Okay. And the, well, is this really the last one? This is yeah. really the last one. And every time Saikichi's like, come on, come on, this is unfair. You you guys are such dicks. Uh, even though I, up until five minutes ago, would have been completely on your side. It's Yeah, it's like, hey, aren't you using trick dice? And Saikichi's like, actually, no. Surprisingly, I mean, I, I'm known for this kind of thing, but no. It, the, not it's not about time. that. These are magical dice. They're ghost dice that I made from the bones of my wife. Made from the bones of his dead wife. How did he do that not knowing that she died in childbirth and that the daughter is still alive? Also, why? Why? Yeah, this? it's crazy. And then how did he lose the dice of the gra- Yeah, how well, did the he end dice. up losing these important dice? But yeah, I guess they rolled to Mio like they do now. They just like roll up into her lap. Yeah. Uh, and the room darkens and fills with ghostly laughter, and all the ghosts appear outside the windows in silhouette. And now we finally get to the yokai factory. It's haunting time. The room just starts time. coming apart. <laughs> <laughs> and then outside, Hyakutaro and the boy arrive. And he's like shouting a challenge, and Kanzo comes out with seven other dudes. <laughs> <laughs> He, he's yeah i i'm not i'm I'm gonna be tough and i'm gonna wait outside for him I don't, I don't need any help hey you seven guys come with me uh and <laughs> yeah uh hyakotaro takes out whoop, takes out three of them instantly yeah <laughs> he, you know a, a very zatoichi move uh-huh. he has a quick duel with kanzo and wins everybody else just runs away <laughs> yep. again just goes down like a punk it's like what is how <laughs> like, like this was gonna work out which is also how the Zatoichi rival samurai usually go out, except Every for the first time. one. Except the first one, yeah. And and the first one, like, he feels so bad about, he, like, goes back to pay tribute to him. Yeah, and that's, the like, one. the whole point of the second movie. Yeah. Ah, I want to do another one of those soon. Yeah, totally. Uh, so he, Hyakutaro uh, 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 and the boy run inside, but, like, the whole place is empty. Uh, and they he got spirited away. Yeah. And Hyakutaro finds Mio and Saikichi. And he like throws a sword at Saikichi. He's like, take it. I don't want to kill an unarmed man. <laughs> <laughs> and Mio's like, no, no, I know he fucking sucks, but he's actually my dad. And Saikichi's like, 
no, no, please kill me. This is karma. I'm supposed to die for this. <laughs> please, I'm not cut out to be a dad. <laughs> I was literally willing to beat her up five minutes ago to get a document that yeah. she doesn't even have. Yeah, like, can you see that I'm not scum? Can we just not? And the boy shows up. He's like, all those other thugs just ran off into the bamboo forest. <laughs> like, oh, that's not going to work out for them. <laughs> <laughs> and we cut to them being surrounded by ghosts, and they're just like futile slashing at them. This is kind of similar to how the haunting at the end of the first yokai movie went, where it's not so much a fight as just them superimposed over the thugs and and guys just like doing their hoppy dancey thing. Yeah. Uh, although there's a couple of little things that are cool. I think it's Manta, one of the, you know, bebop rocksteady yeah. guys. Uh, he gets pulled screaming into the air and then like, or everyone's like, Oh shit. And they're looking up and then he, he just drops back down bleeding from the throat dead. Like <laughs> that was rad. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, that was pretty Jesus. cool. Uh, there, there's the bit with the water wheel and starts spinning and then catches oh, yeah. on fire. And then two ghost heads fly out of it. Yeah, and like attack the other guys, uh, and there, there's like they're down to three guys. There's Boss Hiraguma, uh, I guess, Gorokichi, and some third guy who has no name, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, a, a thug. Yeah, and I think this is the guy that the boss like. Just they're all slashing wildly, and the boss accidentally kills one of them. <laughs> <laughs> And all the ghosts just appear lined up and start laughing at them. Ha <laughs> ha, <laughs> <laughs> you killed your friend, you killed your friend. I was probably going to kill him anyway, you know? That's what I, I mean, do. To be fair, he probably was. All of these guys are the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they try to run again, but, you know, more ghosts, more flying heads just keep flying at them. And... The the last two surviving guys collide with each other, and I think it's Hiraguma and Gorokichi. And, like, each of them seems to transform into a ghost in the other guy's mind. It's like when, in, in like, an old cartoon, someone's on a desert island, and the other guy turns into a turkey. And oh, <laughs> turns yeah. Into, like, sausage rolls. So, of course, they're, like, fighting each other to the death. Yeah. Which is great. Uh, ultimately, Hiraguma is last man standing. Uh, and really interesting bit here. Like he opens his hand and the two, the ghost dice are oh, in yeah. his hand with, with the snake like eyes. And used to his palm. Yeah. He can't he get can't, rid of them. Yeah. He's like shaking his hand and trying to throw the dice and he tries to cut them off with his sword. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess like, you know, you, you see him cutting his hand and he goes, ah, shit. And then the document floats by. He's like, oh, my God, my phone records. <laughs> I, so, so did it float all the way down here across four cities? I suppose so. I, like, I feel like all these cities must be along the same forest. And, and it's just like wandering through the forest independently. Like, we can assume that just like the ghosts and all of these people, they've all been following the same line. <laughs> that, that's kind of what I figure. Yeah. Uh, the, the document lands right at Hyakutaro's feet, uh, and they have a very brief fight, and he kills the boss. <laughs> mm -hmm. So he, he has both the evidence, but, like, all of the guys are dead anyway, so, like, they can just, you know, have it on the record that they're bad. 
and dead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hyakutaro gives the dice back to Mio, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saikichi begs for death again. <laughs> again, yeah. Like, please, I'm telling you, I'm a real bad dude. I get, I don't want to go to the effort of atoning for my ways. It sounds too hard. It's like I really don't want to do it. And he's, and Hyakutaro's look. You, you've got to take care of her. This is your responsibility now. And then we have the ghost dance, the ghost conga line. It's yep, kind the of the same thing line. as the other two. This is, this is one thing that's really in continuity of the, with the others. Yeah. Yeah, they you all, get your ghost conga line. Um, they all come up out of the ground and they dance around and they sort of like dance off into the distance. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Yeah, it's fun. I just... Not not as good as the other ones, though, I don't think. Honestly, I think this one's better than the first. Uh, like, it's not quite... Like, it's a different style of movie. And and that's sort of a problem. As a yokai movie, it's not as good. Because <laughs> well, it's not yeah. a yokai movie. But I do think yeah. it's a pretty good kaidan movie. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's, it's nowhere, nowhere near, near as good as, as the second two, one. Because no. two freaking ruled. They fought a Power Rangers monster. Yeah, the the second one's a total blast. The second one has so many monsters, and it was smart in just giving Supernatural the whole time, whereas this one is really scaled back. I think oh, yeah. probably a budget thing. Could be, could be. Yeah, because the, I counted the ghosts only actually appear in about four scenes. Yeah, that's about right. And they mostly just stand around in trees and bushes uh, and don't move. <laughs> mostly yeah there's there's not a lot of movement uh but yeah i mean like it's it's definitely kind of a step down from two especially after how much of a step up two was but i do feel that it's better than the first one just in terms of it's a pretty clear arc and there's all these characters and they all have motivations and there's lots of little bits that are spooky that's and the human characters I'll, i'll agree they are more memorable and interesting than the ones in number one I remember none of those people. They were just uh, the people who were being evicted and the evil landlords. And that's all. (laughs) I didn't even remember that it was an evil landlord plot. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, they were were trying to evict these people and uh, destroy a temple. Or something. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. That may be a Zatoichi film. I know we talked about it a lot as being very Zatoichi-esque. But I, I feel like the spookiness of this one is really interesting. Like... The the thing with the fake Mio was so good. Oh, yeah, yeah. That uh, one sequence is better than anything that was in the first one. That's true. That's true. I agree with you there. Yeah. Uh, but, like, I agree. It, it definitely is kind of a disappointment when you come in, like, looking for a yokai movie and there's not a yokai to be found. Yeah, like, not even one of our <laughs> favorites except for... Except for the no face, and I got us just not sure if the one-eyed hairy dude was in the other ones. Yeah, I'm not sure. He seems like he would have been. Like it, it seems like maybe this was the one that's under the lake. But yeah, it's yeah. it's snuffle up, I guess. So it it kind of feels like one we've seen before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we the grew he up just with him. Waves to the kids like. Yeah, hey, he's kids, like waving a trunk. You need to get away from here. <laughs> Man, the the original appearance of Snuffy on Sesame Street, where he's got that smoker's voice and he's got like big, I think his eyes were a weird color the first time. Uh, I remember seeing a, 
a picture, but I don't remember exactly what it looks like. Just that it's not the snuffy that I remember. No, it's kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh yeah, I, I remember watching the first appearance of Snuffy a little while ago. I was like, weird. Uh but cool. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh that is pretty much it for uh along with Yokai Monsters along with ghosts. Or Yokai Monsters except ghosts. <laughs> so Zadoichi minus Zadoichi. Yeah, Zadoichi minus Zadoichi. So uh, this being a box set, we decide, uh, are we going to continue, go on to The Great Yokai War, which is the Takeshi Miike remake? Oh, how could series. we not? I, I figure most likely that. But of course, uh, as mentioned, when we watch the second one, the alternative, we could do 48 Hours next, which is the original buddy cop comedy from the 80s has Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte, I believe. OK, well, sort of the star making vehicle. All oh, right on. Um, but we only have one more in this set, though. We yeah, might as my well understanding get is it's a remake of the second one. Oh, well, by Takeshi Miike, it's going right. to be awesome. Yeah, and I know it has the umbrella guy in it because I've seen some clips from it in one of the documentaries on the previous disc. Oh, well, there we go. Um, yeah, well, we might as well stick with it. We've We've come this far. All right. Well, any last thoughts on Along with Ghosts uh, before we move on to our second film? No, I I think we about covered it. All right, on to part two. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about uh, 2011's The Oregonian by, uh, I believe it's Calvin Lee Reader? Uh, Yes, Calvin Uh, Lee Reader. Very interesting movie, this. It kind of feels like um, Twin Peaks without the without like the the happy characters without the plot yeah there's not really a plot to this movie it's more of a free form satire like i i think this is a thing that seems to get missed with this movie i i usually see people just kind of describing it as a surrealist horror movie but it seems pretty clearly to be a a, a satire of those, a pastiche, a comedy to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's one scene in particular that feels like it came straight out of Evil Dead, too. It, it's, well, it's there's like, a couple scenes that might that could qualify for that. There's one lady who's very uh, Deadite-esque, but uh, uh, it, it has it's like if Al Adamson made a David Lynch movie. Mm. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, that is a perfect analogy. Uh, and it sort of follows in the same tradition as stuff like the, the ones I mentioned last week were Manos, The Hands of Fate, of course. Yeah, uh, it, it's got kind of that weird, funky, not made by a human being feel to it. But like <laughs> intentionally here, like it's sort yeah. of doing that thing. And like the characters don't really make a lot of sense. Uh, the plot doesn't make any sense. You're just sort of in this weird mix of things where you're having all of these crazy revelations and flashbacks. But they don't really line up in any uh, a reasonable fashion. Yeah, so, so many times I've written my notes um, just, uh, and now they're over here. Yeah, it, it just sort of moves from place to place, because uh, ultimately it's this lady stumbling away from a car accident, but... Getting lost sort of, in the Oregon woods, Although maybe. she doesn't even get lost in the woods, she's just walking along the road and encountering unhelpful people. 
<laughs> I mean, then, like, if you boil it down to its base elements, yeah, that's what it is. And and the unhelpful people are all involved with how she was in the car accident in the first place, maybe, or maybe all of them are her. It's the three. It's kind of the three, maybe. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, it's how the three would her. work. Hmm? Some of them are her, at least. Um, right. Sometimes the monster is her, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's that guy with who says live it, uh, who has the uh, live it tattoo. Yeah, sometimes it's live it. Sometimes it's a uh, rapey man. That's the same guy, just without the glasses, isn't it? Just an older version of the guy. Wait, is, is that the older version of live it? I think it's supposed to be him. And and then like I thought they, the fat guy was like an older version of Livet. It could be that they're all the same guy too. I'm pretty sure the Livet guy with the yellow sunglasses. It, it's just like when he's in the frog costume, he just has the glasses off and he looks sweaty and unkempt. Hmm. I think I think it's the same guy, but I could be <sighs> wrong. Because there's also a scene where they meet, but there's all sorts of scenes where people meet others of themselves. So it, th- that's the thing. It's not supposed to make any sense. No, and, and no. I think <laughs> that's sort of the key thing when people call it a surrealist horror movie or sort of missing the point is that it's a gag on those. Like it's intentionally built to be nonsensical and have all these sort of jokey non sequiturs. There's this one guy who feels like he's straight out of a David Lynch movie. Uh, he says something like, the trees will make room for us, if only for a while. And lines like that. Oh, yeah. He is like, you, you expect him to say the owls are not as they seem. Yeah. Uh, he he reminds me a lot of the cowboy in Mulholland Drive. Mm. <laughs> if you recall, the, the the guy that like they call who just sa- somehow... Uh, is the nexus of all realities and is able to like exert his influence. And he's like the one who is pulling all the strings behind the scenes. Uh, I don't remember that part of the movie. He's a very small character, but that's the thing. It's a very complicated movie with a whole bunch of characters. Oh, wait, no, maybe I'm thinking of Inland Empire. No, no, it's in Mulholland Drive. It's definitely in Mulholland Drive. Uh, But yeah, that's a complicated movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes it is <laughs> but that one it's meant to sort of fit together uh whereas this one it's intentionally not meant to fit together there's a lot of just dissonance in this movie uh there's a lot of dream logic i don't know if it's even dream logic i i feel like it's just intentional dissonance by the directors like it, it is uh, a movie of doing things that are always going to be the most unreal and absurd well yeah oh man yeah and like the dissonance carries on into the soundtrack like where you have that first opening thing with like the graduation song pumped up really high and distorted and And super distorted yeah yeah and it just keeps going and then it's still playing when they get back to the car at the end of the movie yeah (laughs) that's one of my favorite parts but obviously i i think we have the the same main favorite part because we, we we watched this together and we both laughed till we cried uh, oh we had to pause the movie I, oh my god it's so good <laughs> there's a few things going on here um so we start out with a girl whose name we never learn uh she because after the car accident or maybe after a different incident it's hard to say uh she has forgotten her name oh uh, yeah that's right 
Yeah. There's that part where he asks her, do you remember your name yet? And, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and she's, she's at this farm feeding some horses and sees this, goes to the stable and sees this guy passed out. And uh, a, He's got a bottle of vodka next to his face. Yeah, so I assumed that, you know, he this weird this guy randomly just drank himself to passing out but then on the second viewing i noticed there is a big piece of wood broken in half sitting next to him and so i thought maybe she broke it over him uh i'm actually wrong that's not what happened because we also didn't uh drink himself to a stupor or could it be because th- that's the thing. Anything that happens in this movie is questionable. We're, we're looking yes. at a whole bunch of weird flashbacks that are meant to be dissonant and not what we expect. So we do later see uh, something that maybe took place before this and does have him just lie down on the ground and take a nap angrily. <laughs> An angry nap. Angry you nap. bitch. I'm going to bed. <laughs> One thing about it is like everybody just swears a whole lot. Like it's well, almost the ones who all. Talk. Yeah, there's the only guy who doesn't is uh, our gasoline drinking man, who's the best. Uh, but like everybody else, on the rare occasions they talk, well, them and and the cowboy guy, a uh, cowboy guy just sort of spouts mystical nonsense. <laughs> yeah. But um, everybody, like her and uh, the husband, just constant string of expletives. I like didn't, comical. I didn't recognize that he was supposed to be a husband at first because it looks like the age difference between them is so, uh, so much. But and then it it kind of hints that maybe he's not a husband and something else is going on. Well, I mean, uh, everything is questionable. There's yeah, not, there is no single thing in this movie that is meant to be taken at face value. Yeah, no, there is no correct interpretation. No. Yeah, so she takes she takes the vodka and starts drinking it, and we cut to I guess we cut directly into the car crash. No, first we have a very important flash of uh, a mounted horse head. Oh yes, the mounted horse door. head. I forgot about that. That's important. I I mean like that's just like the first signpost of like okay things are fucking weird. When have you ever seen a mounted horse head? <laughs> Um, probably never. Probably never. Uh, yeah. Uh, and they're they have a horse farm and stuff, so it's it's especially suspect. Yeah, that's a little weird. So it cuts to that, and then it cuts to the car crash and just the dissonant noise. Or maybe yeah. car crash. Maybe maybe car crash. Well, <laughs> car is uh stopped and smoking, and <laughs> as we will see, there are picnickers in the most bizarre spot who's like <laughs> <laughs> well first she uh, yeah first she goes the other way she yeah she regains consciousness and she's covered in blood uh it never she's covered in caro syrup <laughs> yeah like, yeah and it changes every scene yeah so I didn't quite realize that this is supposed to be her injured, but now I kind of think it isn't uh, her own blood. Probably Although not. it also is. Uh, yeah. Because of things. Well, the movie is sort of circular. We do end up back here again with her clean. <laughs> but like, how did she get here the first time? Was this her first pass through? 
Yeah, I think there might be a time loop happening, maybe. Yeah, she might have um, passed through here a bunch of times. Th- this is like someone getting the really, really bad end in Coco D, Coco Da. She oh. just blew it. Th- this couple was not salvageable. He's still drunk back at the ranch, and she's in a car crash elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, so she starts walking backwards, you know, looking or like back down the way she came, looking mm. for help. Uh, and suddenly, like, it starts out low, but... As she goes further, there's this loud screeching and beeping and like a super bright light until she just can't go any further. It's just too overpowering. So she turns back around. And I think here's where she reaches the end of reality. You just can't go past her yet. It it, it feels like uh, this area of the game is unlocked or is not not unlocked yet. Uh, And it's where the time loop deposits her again later supposedly because yeah. like it, it does just sort of seem like where reality uh becomes unglued but like later she like at the end of the movie spoilers i guess <laughs> she will drive into it successfully and we're, we're just not sure like maybe it is death maybe like this Could is be. her walking away from death and trying to fight dying but like she seems to already be dead and maybe be several people who were involved with killing her. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, well, the this the beeping sound is like the hospital uh, beeping sound. You know, the one yeah. with the heart yeah, machine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and there's smoke and it goes sort of white and gray and fog. Mm-hmm. So it, it does seem like going into death. Uh, so, uh, like, this is post-Mulholland Drive. This movie, I think, did come out after like a couple years after Mulholland Drive. So Mulholland Drive was like 2002, wasn't it? Oh, maybe it was. Yeah, I'm I'm probably thinking that, yeah, no, it definitely is much earlier than this. So I think there's a certain amount of that in there because Mulholland Drive has all of these elements of like the weird circularity of the uh a person who is experiencing this whole thing before death, uh uh, uh the like different personalities being different people and different people being uh showing up as different people at different times you know it's all sort of in there oh yeah um so yeah she she can't go any further because the sound of the light is just too overpowering uh for now at least for now for now uh so she goes back to the wagon and she sees uh the accident she sees these yeah she goes around to the front yeah, which she hadn't done yet. Uh, yeah. She sees these two picnickers. Well, and... first she sees the guy, the the man, and like it's 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 like their picnic blanket has exploded around them. It's like shredded. <laughs> There's just shreds of picnic blanket everywhere, which I found really <laughs> funny because how would that happen? Were they holding it up in front of them as a shield, and it blew up as they were hit? and like they were picnicking there is no place to set down for a picnic here it's all tall grass and stuff and it's like on a median just like on the shoulder of the road basically like uh, like a sort of like a not well-kept rainy northwest pacific like it's a washington state back road yeah would you possibly be picnicking there and they're like next to just a concrete block or something. Well, it looks like it's uh, like one of those like little electric transformer. Right. Things. I guess it's a transformer box, which again, 
a stupid place to uh, hang out. You don't hang out next to those. Yeah, uh, th- it makes no sense for these people to be having a picnic here. Like, they couldn't have set the blanket down where they set the blanket down. Right, and it also doesn't make sense that she would possibly just randomly crash into this because it's on the side of the road and, like, you know, beside the road, like, off of the road. Well, it's it's kind of like in the middle part of a fork in the road. I guess so. So if you were going straight and you didn't go down any either of the two forks, you, you could crash into it. Yeah, I guess so. But it is uh, an extremely stupid place to have a picnic. Yeah, no, it's so dumb. And, like, first she finds the guy and she's like, oh, oh my God. And she, like, you know, wanders there a bit. And then, like, she turns and realizes there's also a small child. And she's like, oh, no. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. So she's, like, freaking out, calling for help. Um, she walks down the road the other way. Yeah. And uh, after wandering for a while, she sees this old lady dressed in like a red shawl standing in the middle of the road. Very dead idea. Very dead idea. Major I mean, dead eyed energy. Yep. Uh, she's like, please, you got to help me. Blah, blah, blah. There's an accident, all this stuff. And the woman just stares at her with his creepy ass smile and just laughs like. <laughs> I. <laughs> And I love the way this is shot because it just like constantly moves around her face and like keeps focusing on her eyes and like her eyes go. Yeah, and it's all shaky cam. And like, you know, and it's, it's constantly moving around between them and like intensifying everything, even though it's just two people standing on the side of the road looking at each other. And like after a while, the, the girl, you know, the main girl, it's like. Basically just (laughs) gives up and just walks away. And, like, the lady is still just standing there laughing and making the same face. Yeah. And then eventually just disappears into the woods. I love that moment. And I think it's one of those things. One of the things that I think this movie does super well in replicating the weird energy of these cheap 70s grindhouse horror that I feel it's sort of mainly working with, but having a major Lynchian twist to it, for sure, Mm -hmm. uh, is that they're like super low budget and they just sort of don't make any sense in any way. Like they're just, uh, they, they seem like they're written by an alien, but once in a while they'll almost maybe accidentally hit a moment of like genuine spookiness. And for me, one of those is when she's walking away and they just have in the deep, unfocused background the oh yeah it's unfocused you wouldn't yeah. even be able to see it except that she's wearing bright red right red and you you see her just sort of like after some time motionless just uh turning and melting back into the forest and like over all of this there's just like very distorted very distorted acoustic guitar mm-hmm. with loud hyper distorted sound it's great yeah it's like she disappears like Sasquatch into the woods. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, or like like that Homer Simpson gif into the yeah, bushes. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so now <laughs> so she we've got like a bunch of scenes of her wandering sometimes through the woods, sometimes beside a road. Um, we see like zoom-ups on dead fish by the stream, fish skeletons. It's very uh, Pacific Northwest. Very, yeah. Um, yeah. And then 
eventually, after God knows how long she's been wandering, uh, she finds either it's a piece of green felt and or Muppet flesh. I don't know if this creature is supposed to be a person in this suit or if it's supposed to be a monster. And like different people can inhabit it as a monster. Maybe. Yeah, I can maybe. see that. But um, okay. And it's so, so shitty looking. Imagine <laughs> it's so wonderfully shitty looking. Worst. Imagine the worst Oscar the Grouch uh, costume you could ever imagine, and then make it worse. Like um, Oscar the Grouch in like a transporter accident with Kermit the Frog, because it's like the the Oscar the Grouch feltiness, the the green fur of him, but yeah. sort of a frog shape. Well, uh, but with like of, a huge, little bit, a little Gumby esque too. Little Gumby. There's the these big white felt eyes that are separate, and yeah, like and one of them one is of just them hanging, is hanging loose. off on a string. <laughs> And they're like the head is never on straight. No, and it's just sort of shapeless on most people. It's just like this green, shapeless, carpety mass. Yeah, like like there's pictures of it on the box art, and uh, I actually that's what made me look at it. In, like what made me look at it last week when we were deciding, hmm. and it looks so much shittier than any of the pictures. Oh yeah, totally. It is like, and appropriately so, like you you want it to look exactly this bad. Oh yeah, it's just <laughs> it, it's it doesn't it like Muppets. The thing about Muppets and like mascot costumes is they're hmm. so good at emoting. This thing does not emote. <laughs> this one, it's kind of hard to tell exactly where the face begins and ends, uh, and it looks so dirty too. Like it it's it it feels filthy. Every time you see it, it's like, yeah, oh, it must smell bad. Like you're. Well, that's why it gets into the shower later. Yeah, you gotta get in the shower with it. It needs a bath. <laughs> it needs a bath, but uh, but that's not where it is right now. Right now, <laughs> it is in the pa- the driver's seat of a car that has also crashed. Uh, in not just unlike a, her car. In just an open field somewhere. Yeah, this one is a dumb crash. It looks like it just drove off into the ditch or into the into like kind of the woods. I, you can't even see what it crashed into, really. It doesn't look like it crashed into anything. It's entirely possible that he's fallen asleep at the wheel and driven off the road and it just came to a rest here. That's the most. And he's drunk. Thing. He maybe drank too much gasoline with his buddies. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> But we also see in the passenger seat this uh, pristine-looking, like, golden shotgun. It's beautiful. Looks brand uh, new. Yeah. So uh, our girl grabs a stick, presumably to poke the Muppet and see if it's alive. And our old lady is in the passenger seat and hissing at her. And they make the eyes at each other again. Like, and every time, it, every time this happens, every time she looks at the old lady, uh, she just starts seeing flashbacks or flash forwards of like really fast moving images of things that we haven't seen yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Usually, it's a green room, like a bright green, like lime green hotel room looking thing. Right. And and this is where we'll see her levitating in the video footage that they're watching in the camper later. Yeah, right. (laughs) 
uh, and then after after a bit of that, the old lady vanishes. So she just takes the shotgun and gets the fuck out of there. Yeah, it's like I don't need to poke this guy with a stick. Forget it. I'm just taking this gun and going. Yeah. So after walking some more, she arrives in this uh, ghost town. Really spooky detail is all the newspaper boxes of the ghost town are turned around and faced against the wall. Like, yeah, that's really cool. I hadn't noticed that until you pointed it out. Like, not just an abandoned town, but a weird abandoned town where nothing really works. Nothing really looks the way it should. Yeah, everything is just a little bit weird. Like, uh, when they when she goes into the house, she passes a thermostat in a, like, gilded photograph frame. <laughs> yep. Which is super yeah. cool. And and there's just all these little details to make things look slightly unreal at the edges of uh, everything, which is pretty cool. Yeah, like like the weird baby paintings and Jesus paintings on the yeah, wall. Yeah, yeah. Like very um, eccentric art direction that clearly is just uh, is not, kind of meant to draw attention to itself. Yeah. So after we're exploring this town and this house for a little bit, she starts freaking out. She's like, where the fuck is everybody? Where the fuck is everyone? She has like a almost like a Tommy Wiseau breakdown. It's it's like a toddler breakdown. Uh, it's it's honestly very realistic. And it's one of the things I really like in the movie is that there's a few times when people just get fucking pissed off and have an authentic uh, uh, just crap i've i've lost the word <laughs> uh, like a, like a temper tantrum temper tantrum yeah she is throwing like a toddler tantrum like she's swearing a lot she throws the shotgun onto the couch it's like, i can't believe where the hell is everybody whereas like in every other twilight zone-esque setting for this you know it would be sort of a majestic like where is everybody where yeah. is everybody where are they and Am here, I alone here? And here's just like, God damn, fuck it, I hate this. I'm so mad. Where the hell is everybody? I'm so pissed off. I just need to find a phone. God damn yeah. it, where is everybody? I so love that. She, yeah. So she lies down on the couch and she puts the shotgun up to her chin and uh, cocks it. And then in the mirror, you see, this is the first time seeing this guy, this creepy dude with a gray, old dude with a gray wife beater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and gray hair, who I don't think this is supposed to be Livet guy, but he's he's sure the one who, who this guy is. He's the one who rapes her later. Okay, I think one, it the, is like, Livet guy who's who's raping the dead body. Yes. Yeah. The one who's like really <laughs> really going at it. Yeah, I think that might actually also be Livet guy. Hmm. They might all be. They might all be him, because yeah. I thought the fat guy might be him. I didn't make that connection, but it is possible. <laughs> yeah. It's... The van guy. Like, they're yeah. all drinking gasoline together. Yeah. Um. And yeah, he shows up in the mirror. Yeah, I guess that's the end of that scene. So we cut to this big guy, this big guy in a van just driving, looking straight ahead, uh, motionless, like going, just constantly. He, he seems very unwell. 
very unwell. Um, and she's on the side of the road with her gun and she waves him down. Uh, he stops, but he doesn't look at her or acknowledge her or anything. He just stops. She she opens the front door to get in the passenger seat and there's just like a, a cardboard box full of like oil cans and or like uh, uh gasoline cans, yeah yeah because you know he's been drinking them this is the too much breakfast he had yeah well <laughs> we're gonna learn about that real soon or very soon not learn about it yeah so she like closes the door and gets into the the back seat instead which is weird and he completely does not acknowledge her as she asks him questions and he just starts driving on yeah um and here's where she sees a Polaroid on the guy's dashboard of this guy and written underneath it is livid. This is the first time we see the right. livid guy that we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, we don't even know that he's got it tattooed yet. He's right. like this seventies looking guy with yellow sunglasses. Yeah. Like the, the T shades. And uh, yeah, he just keeps driving and he goes, <gasps> <laughs> and, and she's trying to tell him about like, I've been in this accident. There's these people hurt and I really need to get to a phone. And he just continues to go. <gasps> yeah. Does not even like look back to see here or anything. And then he stops, he pulls over and he gets out cause it's time to pee. Oh my God. This moment. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I, I mentioned it last week in our introduction to this movie. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's such a thing. And like, it's, it does not do it justice to say what happens, but like, this is such an incredible moment. I was for two minutes, to, I guess. <laughs> we had to stop the movie because we were laughing so hard. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he starts peeing, and like, uh, you, you just see the stream of urine coming, like, coming out from the bottom of the camera, and on, every like, now a and piece again, of cardboard. Yeah, onto a piece of cardboard. Of Every now and again, it'll just cut to his face, and he's just got, like, the same non-expression. And uh, the, the the pee turns, like, bright yellow. Yeah, it gets pretty dark. And, like, and you, then... you cut to his face. You know, we don't really see his eyes because he's got T-shades, but they're darker than uh, yeah. the little guys. Yeah, they're, they're, they're black sunglasses. Mm -hmm. um, and his facial expression, of course, hasn't changed. Yep. And then... The yellow stream stops and suddenly it's a stream of red, like bright red. It's blood. Like paint red, really bright, and, you know, goes for a little while and it's really gross. And the little detail I never noticed the first time is, like, he kind of moves it around to, like, cover up more of the rocks. Like, like oh, yeah, totally. Like, mm -hmm. some, like, as if he was writing his name in the snow or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just keeps cutting back to his face and like, mm -hmm, yep, this is normal. This is normal. And then, and then the red stream stops and it just turns black. Yeah, it's like almost the, it's almost sort of a blue green and then just black, just black pouring out of him. Like, like and it, oil. Uh, and, and again, cuts to his face, just totally expressionless. And like once in a while, we'll see her. In, in the back of the truck, watching yeah. him from from the back seat, like, okay, okay. And then he just falls over. Face first onto uh, the cardboard. Splat. The cardboard that he's been pissing, bleeding, what else on. 
Yeah, just like having an oil change here. He just falls. He like doesn't even. <laughs> I can't even explain how funny it's, this. It's an incredible is. slapstick moment. Like just, we've seen him peeing for like a solid minute and a half, probably. Probably. Like, it's 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 a long time with each color, and then it cuts to his face being expressionless over and over again, and then finally like the the stream stops and it cuts to him just instantly it's like a peter griffin the frames missing fall he just like <laughs> splat face first yeah. into uh his black urine pile which sounds so disgusting and it is but in the moment it is so funny <laughs> like <laughs> grotesque and funny all at the same time so she decides that this, okay well this guy's obviously dead because of you don't live through that. No, it's insane. <laughs> so she's going to take the van. She's going to get help. And she's like, she moves up to the front seat. Uh, she's like adjusting everything, like figuring out where the the gear shift is and all that. And he just shows up in the window. <laughs> His head pops up right next to her. And he's like, I'm all right. <laughs> I'm all right. Had too much breakfast, baby. <laughs> too much breakfast maybe <laughs> and it's like <laughs> it's the most anybody has said to her it, since this movie has began just an absolutely tremendous button the the too much breakfast excuse is like the perfect cherry on top of that scene <laughs> oh, amazing <laughs> so they're driving in the nighttime. And, uh, oh, yeah, and as they're driving away, we see the old woman in red in the rearview mirror. Of course. Now, I think the old woman is her. Interesting. Because, like, at the end, they are together. Yes. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, she's in the rearview mirror. And so, like, we cut to basically just, like, looking at the road going by as it's illuminated by the headlights. Well, Real she's... Yep. She's talking to him. It's like, okay, look, I really need a phone. I don't know where you're taking me. I don't know what's going on, but I've got a gun and it's loaded if you're, so don't try anything. And he's like, make an omelet tonight. And he starts giving her his omelet recipe. His omelet recipe. (laughs) And and we get to see him cook omelets too. I believe in the credits, he is omelet guy. Oh, really? I didn't, uh, I didn't didn't watch the credits. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, he's like, uh, he, he gives the recipe and then he's like, no, you'll let him cook for a while. You'll let, let him cook, cook for a while. while. <laughs> let him cook for a while. It's like drifting off and like fading to darkness. Yeah. And then, uh, they pull up to this motel and they both go into this room where there's this, <laughs> this gasoline can on the table. I would Which, say one thing that's notable is when they when they're first pulling up, they they seem to be in a city. Like they, it looks oh like downtown yeah. Los Angeles or something, and it's like, hey, how's Some there kind nobody of else around? Anyway. Yeah, although uh, when she leaves there, she doesn't find it again. No, no. Um, yeah, so he takes the gas can and goes immediately to the bathroom. <laughs> So she's just sitting there. Um, and looking at the chair in the corner, right? <laughs> yeah, she's looking at the chair in the corner. 
Uh, first, she tries the phone, but uh, instead of a dial tone, it's that horrible screeching noise. Right. Uh, and we see the man cooking the omelet on, like, a propane torch in the bathroom. And uh, pouring gasoline into it. Yeah, the omelet is on fire. He then pours gasoline into the this teacup he's got. <laughs> he looks at himself in the mirror with the teacup, and he's like, Happy birthday. <laughs> he drinks it. <laughs> yeah, so I, I assume that that's why he needed an oil change earlier is because he's he is one with the van. He's the van man and he like is powered by gasoline. <laughs> Maybe uh, he cracks the eggshells like the eggshells he used to make it the omelet. He throws them into oh, the that's toilet. So gross. That's so gross. There, there's something just uncannily gross about egg stuff to me uh and him also getting like eggshell bits in the eggs oh that grosses oh, me out a lot yeah it really no, does for sure especially the worst is if you could like order eggs at mcdonald's and of course i should really know better but like <laughs> and you got the crunch it's like ugh. yeah i hate they that they didn't take the eggshell out properly yeah i mean like you I, I worked at McDonald's in my youth and it, you they do use real eggs like you have to if you're working on the grill you do have to know how to crack an egg properly and not every you know 15 or 16 year old who is getting their first job does know how to do that and they oh, have hell, to learn I while doing know how yeah 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 it's where Which, I basically learned I kind of knew how to but a little bit but it's not something I was doing much of before I worked there <laughs> Uh, so after trying the phone and it's not working, she just stares at the chair in the corner of the hotel room. And I knew, I knew that it was going to be. <laughs> I thought old the old woman the was going to appear on the chair, but no, she comes up from behind it. <laughs> she just like, starts... yeah, the old, like she's looking at the chair and, and I, I feel like she, like me, is like, okay, come on. I know you're there. I know the old lady's going to pop up. Come on now. And she just rises up behind it with that like same cackling look on her face. <laughs> yeah. So good. Uh, she might as well be saying she'll swallow your soul. Oh, totally. But her thing is just being <laughs> and, and like uh, raising her eyebrows and moving her eyes a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All eye stuff. And, and we get more flashbacks like, like, split second flashbacks and then there's a pounding on the window and it's the muppet yeah and he's masturbating inside the suit oh i didn't catch that that's what he that's where he's pounding and we will later see him doing it again when she's beating we him do see it again when she's beating him <laughs> and like when i saw him doing it when she was beating him is when i realized that when he was like pounding the glass earlier that's what he was doing because it it had been weird to me initially because it's like th the spot where he was pounding was you know sort of near crotch level uh which is not where normally you would be pounding <laughs> and he was not pounding from the arm of the suit but from like within the suit middle okay i well the suit is so shitty i couldn't tell where the pounding was coming from yeah so like he's leaning with one hand with one arm on the glass and just oh, masturbating hard that. at her through the glass yeah well she's having this like freak out moment with the old lady who's gone now she yeah just disappeared of course as she does 
and uh, she points the shotgun at the guy and uh, at the Muppet and apparently shoots. And then we flash back to the husband and her life at the farm. And, and they're going down in a wheelbarrow like, oh, fun, whimsical. <laughs> oh, yay. Oh, they fell over. Oh, and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's. It's so weird because this does feel like one of those corny flashbacks in one of these movies where something traumatic happens, but obviously it's just a gag. Like, yeah. she falls out and pretends to be hurt, and he takes it extremely seriously. Oh, he takes it so badly. He, like, she rocks away. He's like, get back in the wheelbarrow, bitch. Get back in the wheelbarrow. And then... And like through all of this, uh, there, there's various shots interspersed of the horses running around, sort of like twinned with her movements. Like maybe mm-hmm. she is one of the horses and it's a Could black horse, be. like the one that had the head mounted above the door. Maybe. Um, and then so they're <laughs> now they're arguing in the stable. Yeah. And the man's like freaking out, like uh, about how she is a she's a. He thinks she's, she's cheating, cheating on him. Cheating on him with the weird guy in the trees. And, and but like he's being so weird about his freak out. It's like your pussy is like an outhouse. You'll let just anybody shit in it. <laughs> what an incredibly disgusting line. And he's and, like, You bitch, you bitch, you kind yeah, of There's a that. lot of yeah, like there's so much expletives and she just like cannot believe anything she's hearing and she's like what are you even talking about i saw him in the trees i saw him in the trees (laughs) you think i don't know you think i don't know but i saw him and we get just one shot of uh the stringy haired creepy guy who's in the suit oh no not yet (laughs) that happens he's not in the suit yet but we see him there right uh, not this time. Oh, that's later? Okay. That's later. Here it just seems like the guy's like – and then she talks about like how he's keeping her at this farm like it's a prison. Like, okay, there's some backstory that we never get expanded upon. And it's like, why do you think that's okay? And he's like, dude was in the trees though. <laughs> And then he, like, gets tired with the argument, and he just lays down on his face in the ground. <laughs> yeah, right where takes an angry at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, with with the vodka. Yeah. Um. So we're back in the hotel room, and there is a mouse in the sugar. Right. And uh, the spoon is also upside down in the sugar, which is... Yeah, the, the spoon is upside down and pointed weird. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, for the sake of it, because it's weird. So she enters the bathroom. I don't know if she wants, like, to check up on the guy or whatever. But instead of the guy, it's the Muppet in the shower, taking a shower. Just nonchalant. Like, with the suit on. um, Just, it's obviously not getting clean. It's just gross looking. Oh, it looks so disgusting. And like it, it's a it's a gross, like cheap motel shower too. Mm-hmm. It looks so nasty. Yeah. So then she goes outside to have a smoke, and a man emerges like literally from the shadow, mm-hmm. and is like, and just lights a cigarette for her. Is like, what's your name? I don't know. Hi. New beginning. 
here's to it. So this and is he, our cowboy guy, right? Yeah, this is I call him I've got him written down as shadow guy. Yeah, and he's got like a plaid outfit and glasses and uh uh like Tibetan mountain hat kind of thing. Yeah, like a Tibetan mountain hat and like like a green kind of windbreaker. Yeah. He and... looks very Pacific Northwesty, but like a cowboy. Uh he he does remind me a lot of the cowboy in Mulholland Drive. <laughs> That's the name of the character, the cowboy. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. And yeah, he just disappears into the shadows again. Mm-hmm. And now she is in a green room from all the flashbacks. Uh, and the livid guy is watching her in the green room on a TV somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and Which meanwhile, I think the TV is in... I think it's in the camper that we see later. Yeah, yeah. Or potentially in that first house. Oh, that could be too. Because there's a TV there's on a TV in that's that house. on in that house. Yeah. <laughs> the house that um, she has the tantrum in. Yeah. So uh back to the green room, she sees this she sees this guy. Uh we later find out or could find out if we pay attention <laughs> that he's the guy who she ran the picnic guy who she ran over and right. he just kind of gestures to the door, but he seems to not really be there. Like he's standing against a green screen and he doesn't yeah. really react to, to anything she does. <laughs> Is this the moment when uh van guy just comes like omelet guy comes through the green screen? Uh, not, no, the omelet guy doesn't show up for quite a while yet. Oh, because there is one moment where there is a green screen effect and he just like Kool-Aid bands on through it. <laughs> oh, shoot. I, I didn't write that down. I'm not sure where that happens. Oh, oh you know so what? I, I, it must be when he has the omelet later on and he uh, does what he does with the omelet. I think it probably is. But like there, there's a part where there, there is a green screen in a corner of a room and we're seeing a green screen thing. And then he just like walks through the door that it's in front of and you see like the the sheet that was being used fall away as he just walks through it (laughs) so good a plus yeah so so she opens the door that the guy uh pointed her to and there's the creepy rape dude from the mirror uh just going like really going at it with we don't really see what yeah, we see a lot of shots of him going at something, but like just from the chest up, we don't see what he's doing. Yeah, um, and then we flash back to where he actually was in the trees watching the husband and her, <laughs> and, and having and she, and he's definitely definitely fucking the tree. Yes, that he is. is he is <laughs> having sex with the crotch of a tree specifically. Like it's a it's where the tree like where the branches yeah uh, diverges into two parts. Uh, yeah, and just like hilariously loudly, like a turtle having sex. You know, I, I don't know, but okay, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, it's like that. Yeah. And then she, so she turns around and she's greeted by. The old lady and her grunting old lady choir. The 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 Helens, the five Helens. <laughs> the five Helens, they're just like, uh, 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 uh. like like Patty and Selma. <laughs> five Helens agree. 
and <laughs> yeah, and she starts screaming. I think this is where she spits up a bunch of black stuff the yeah, first here's time. Where, this is the first time she spits up a bunch of black stuff, and so does the choir. Yeah. Uh, now she's in a car with the Muppet. Yeah, they're they're driving. He's driving. <laughs> yep. No transition. She's just there now. Yeah, you just have a like her having a whole freak out. The camera goes crazy. That's sort of like one of the main things that we don't can't really express is just the camera is constantly cutting and moving and like it's shaky and it'll have like weird burn effects and it'll slow oh, down. Oh yeah, the burn effects too. Yeah. It's it's very busy because these movies tend to be kind of like really put together funky. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like a Raimi cam without purpose. Yeah. So like it. Except, like, the purpose is just to be weird and disorienting. True, yeah. Uh, and, and to parody the concept of it. So, like, yeah, all of the Helens are throwing up black goo, and she's throwing up black goo and screaming, and the camera goes all funky and crazy, and everything goes green, and then, yeah, they're just driving down a road again. It's just deep yep. vibes. This is the <laughs> same car, of course, that she first found the Muppet in and yeah. took the shotgun from. And the same road. The same road, but... Here, she's, the Muppet just stops on the side of the road, not crashes yeah. or anything, and they both get out. He wrestles the shotgun away from her and just throws it into the bushes. And then he hugs her. He hugs her. <laughs> and they just hold a hug for like a solid 30 seconds, and that's the scene. Yeah. And then they're walking through a clearing and then through a different ghost town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they get to a campfire with Shadow Guy is there. And yeah. he gets to say some cryptic stuff. He's like, uh, the trees have a code. It is not for us to know. Uh, the owls. <laughs> the owls, seen. yeah. yeah. Uh, it, or it's not for our understanding. They'll make room for us, if only for a little while. Yeah. And she looks at the guy and she's like, I only ever see you in dark places. The dark shines brightly around here. <laughs> Just all of this cryptic bullshit. And the yeah. whole gang's there, right? Or uh, is this, he takes nope, them to nope. see the, the gang uh, her, at the camp. He's like, follow my friend. Oh, he yeah, the guy with the bandage. Yeah, the bandage guy with the torch. Who um, has the, the mustache port in his bandages. Sometimes. Sometimes. Because the bandages are different every scene, too. Yeah, I, I love when just once in a while we'll just see a little scrap of blonde beard. Like there's a little <laughs> window in the bandages for his beard, but not his yep. mouth. Yeah. <laughs> or his <Yes>. nose. <laughs> just the beard. Uh, yeah, so they're following the shadow guy, or the, the bandage guy, who is sometimes the shadow guy. Right. Uh, and, and I think this... he carries a machete, right? Um, he there's he seems kind of threatening in a weird way. Kind of. I don't know if I saw a machete, but oh, maybe I could be wrong. Uh, yeah. So he leads her to the camper, and this is where we finally see the Livet guy. Um, right. And his two buddies. One of them is a cowboy with an acoustic guitar, and the other is some guy. Uh, and, and they're all drinking gasoline. 
they're the the it's like not just gasoline it's like these disgusting gasoline milk cocktails <laughs> like milk in the bottom and then they pour gasoline on top of it and they're like in these milkshake glasses these really tall ones yeah and this one guy is like gargling it uh the teefee next to the livet guy is just displaying her standing like perfectly neutral against a green background I think she's supposed to be levitating in in that the green room. I I think Could that be. it's I think it's implied that she's levitating uh, uh above the floor. But yeah, the, that's it and there's the big number 3. Yeah, the big number 3 which uh I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh there's three of these guys. Three of these guys. Uh one of them is playing like this song. About... He, yeah, he does a whole song. Yeah, he does a whole song. A little acoustic ballad, which and again, then, it feels so much like something that would be in an Al Adamson or any of those weird 70s regionals where he's just yeah. like, we know this guy who can do a song. Let's get him <laughs> for a scene and we'll, we'll put him in and he'll sing his song. And that's just easy added production value. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. And the bloody underwear. Oh, yeah. Because the, 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 guy the one guy pissed himself, but it's blood. So, yeah, because he has to be uh, the the van guy as well, because he's doing like it's it, he's peeing blood or I guess they are all drinking gasoline, to be fair. It, it could be any of them. Uh, I don't... <laughs> they all have the same oil change philosophy. <laughs> yeah. And then the Livet asks her if she's got any water and he's, she's just like, what? Do you have any water? And I guess she she's just kind of confused, like looks back i guess to like say to gumby like hey do we have water it's, and then it, she looks sorry it's, go ahead it's such a weird moment because he seems so sincere like yeah. it, it's it's like almost an emotional moment it's like do you have any water and it, it, it's it's sort of this weird personal moment between them and she just like has no idea how to respond to this or why or how and yeah, she turns back and then they're all gone. Yeah, they're all gone. And the bandage guy is looking at them through a window. The the little window, square window in the bottom for where uh, you yeah. look into the truck. Yeah, yeah. Because it's one of those campers that goes in the back of a truck, but there's no truck. Yeah, it's just on, on like... Uh, uh, on stilts. On stilts in, in like the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, really does feel like the middle of nowhere too, because we've only gone here yes. in like pitch black darkness. And there is frankly, an eeriness to it. Getting lost in those woods is one of the things that like terrifies the shit out of me. I've literally been lost in Pacific Northwest woods, and it sucks. Oh uh, God! <laughs> I I like it wasn't I wasn't lost for a long time. I was lost for like a day, but I I, I That's was long like. Enough. Yeah, and it was like hot summer day, uh, and I was climbing. It, it was an area that had been clear cut years and years before, and so there was still a bunch of fallen logs, but everything was really overgrown. And I was like climbing up through the shake, and it was just oh, really God. hard. And I, I'm like covered in scratches and abrasions, and then like this log collapses in inwards, and boy, did I not want it to be a wasp's nest that filled oh. that log. Uh, I got stung like 36 times, oh, ran down Christ. back, found the river and just like found my way back by the river over like five hours. And I, I was like, 
just covered in in bee stings, uh, totally sunburned, you know, scratched up like hell. Uh, I've oh. been allergic to to bee stings since that. <laughs> Jesus. So yeah, getting lost in the woods in the Pacific Northwest is no joke. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was in daytime, not in nighttime. Oh my god. Yeah, that. It's just something I don't want to do ever. Yeah, no, that's not great. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so Gumby sits down, but I think it's just so that she can get out the door. Yeah. So she opens the back door to the camper, and there's these two screaming younger, youngish, younger than the old ladies, anyway. Yeah, and they're like grinning. And yeah, they'll like, grin grinning. at her, and then they'll scream, and like their scream distorts reality. Kind of like, kind of like the old lady's scream. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's just how they talk because they don't have yeah. any words besides screaming. Yeah. And like they're grinning ear to ear. They're really happy to see her. And then they just do the scream in her face. And like every little once in a while, we'll cut to one of them and they'll have that grin and then they'll start screaming and the scene will just end. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's a uh, couple and, times they do that. Yep. Yep, and uh, and then the guys are back in the camper. Yeah, and now they're on a pickup truck in the desert. Yeah, they're all on a like desert excursion. The whole bunch of them. You got the he's got the acoustic guitar. Uh, you yep. got the the guy in the furry suit. It, yeah, you got uh, you got Gumby. You got the screaming ladies. Uh, you've got the shadow guy. Oh yeah, that's right. He says like, if you make it to what's next. Then you will see me in the daylight. <laughs> and this is him, her seeing him in daylight. This is one of the other funniest moments in the movie to me. Is <laughs> right. He's got his, he's like babbling his mystical nonsense while like fondling her hair. And he just gets his fingers inextricably tangled. <laughs> and he's trying to light a cigarette while doing this, but with one hand and he just, he can't manage it while he's also babbling his mystical stuff. And has the other hands like uh, just stuck like, in her hair, and she's like she's yeah. getting annoyed with him. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And then they they stop at the side of the road, and they have like you know a little hippie party where they do their dances, they drink their cocktail, they play their guitar. Uh, the guitar is broken, but still plays just fine. Yeah, it's it's an easy rider freakout scene. Uh, I I really like the way they reveal that the guitar is broken because he's playing one of his songs and then they just do like a sound effect as he turns it upwards and you realize that like it's just completely broken. <laughs> there, there's only a front part and like a yep. little bit of the back. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're like smashing glasses against the rocks. You they're know. all drinking gasoline, yep. gasoline cocktails with the milk. And then one of the ladies screams and it just flashes to the old lady and then another scene. Yeah. Uh, now they're outside a tunnel. Uh, her, the, our main girl, and one of the screaming ladies. Oh, right. actually, yeah, here the screaming lady does have another line. She's like, you shouldn't have come here. And right, that's it. Yeah. And, and now we're back to the rapey dude in the green room. And we see that it's her on, like, she's watching him raping a double of her on the table, but her back is cut open and, like, the spine is missing. Yeah, she, it's her dead body, 
with the spine removed and like a huge open wound in the back. Yeah. And here's here's where our big dude finally comes back. <laughs> I think so. This is probably where he Kool-Aid man's on through the green screen, which is he, so this good. must be it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got an omelet. He's he's carrying he's a frying his, pan with his with an omelet <laughs> and a can of gasoline. And he <laughs> so he takes the omelet and shoves it into the wound on like the where the spine was supposed to go and then pours gasoline all over it and while, can, his... while he's continuing to have sex with this corpse yeah and and like he's like stuffing it in like bit by bit and he's like making sure all the bits are in there and then he's pouring gasoline in it and it's <laughs> bubbling up and it's like kind of corralling it and she's watching this <laughs> yep and then she smiles at the corpse of herself and they both barf out blueberries. Yeah, it's it's like legit just like they both have a mouthful of blueberries. Yeah. Like not just it's blueberry sauce or something like clearly there, there there's are a bunch of blueberries in, in it. There. Yeah. <laughs> and then she goes back out to the screaming old lady chorus and just she starts here she starts laughing at them. She and finally starts vibing with it. She's like, oh, I get it. I see the humor in all of this. And this is where I started thinking of Evil Dead 2. Right. Because like, she's just laughing at everything now. The Ash sequence with, like, the lamp and doing yeah. the... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the reindeer head. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we do flashback a little bit to, like, the husband dragging her into the barn. Uh, yeah, the dude fucking the tree. <laughs> we find out that the mascot is the rapey dude. Yeah, we see in the back of like we flash back again to the the desert the party. Yeah. And in the back of the pickup, him taking off uh the head and it be the rapist guy. And she picks up a pipe and she beats the shit out of him. She beats him to death and he is While he's masturbating. He is jerking off in the costume. He's like excited to be beat to death uh, by her. And then when she's done, the camera just pans off to the side and there's the limit guy just watching silently and yeah. offers her the cocktail. Hands her uh, a, a gasoline cocktail and she drinks it. And then she spits it out laughing because now her body is in the Muppet covered in blood. Yeah, and she's just really seeing the humor in everything. She finds her way back to the car accident, and she like <laughs> laughs with the 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 people from the picnic. She's like yeah, waving she, at the, <laughs> having them wave at each other. She takes like the little girl's hand and is like, "Hi, daddy! Hi, daddy! Hi, daddy! Hi, daughter! Hello!" She's just Mister Bean bit. Yes, <laughs> and, and she's just laughing her ass off the whole time and she gets into the car and the old woman is in the passenger seat laughing and they just share a laugh they're both like oh isn't this funny i get it now i see i i get it finally <laughs> i don't but uh, anyway and then they drive away <laughs> with the picnic blanket which was all shredded to pieces now completely whole and like dragging off of one of the wheels I think it's stuck on the front corner of or, the grill. Or front corner of the grill or the bumper or something. Yeah, and it's like flapping along beside the car as they yeah. drive into the end of 
everything or uh, drive death. into maybe the sun because the her skin the starts boiling like like bubbling like bubble gum <laughs> and like it, while it, she's it, laughing and it, it like yeah it burbles and it pops and like she makes all these goofy faces like there's a montage of her making silly faces as like <laughs> like black plague boobos pop all over her yep, face and neck yep. and that's that's it that's the end that's the end they drive into the beeping noise and uh are changed by it maybe <laughs> maybe yeah um i have no idea what this what happened in this movie because you're not supposed to, because things didn't happen in this movie. Everything was just kind of like a shaggy gag. I, I love this so much. It's it, so good. It's just completely in my wheelhouse. And like, I'm I'm so into all of the stuff that it's kind of based on that is sort of like pulling its influence from like not just Lynch, but all of the like ridiculous regional horror that it's like clearly uh, living in the same soul of. Yeah, once first i i didn't i wasn't quite sure what i was going to get into until the dude fell down after pissing <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then and him then popping up again i had too much breakfast maybe yeah, too much breakfast maybe like, like amazing amazing <laughs> like that line is so funny and then like when i saw it the second time it was even funnier because i knew it was from him drinking all of the gasoline <laughs> and just kind of thinking of it as like the black part coming out it just seems like him going through an oil change just it, it made it so much funnier to me somehow mm-hmm. oh, incredible uh, and her laughing montage is up there as well. Just like her laughing with all the Helens there instead of them. Oh, boosting, yeah. It's the pyramid of them all laughing with her. And still they're they're all still uh, coughing up a bunch of black goo. Like she does it again. But this time they're all laughing while they do it. <laughs> yeah. Like like that. That scene must have been inspired by Evil Dead, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and. Yeah, just like and and her just revisiting the the crash scene and her laughing and just <laughs> playing with having fun bodies. with it. Like, That's so Daddy. great. Hello, mommy. And again, to that point, like I can't believe wearing the, the mascot costume. <laughs> that how could how anyone could not see this as comedic? <laughs> that that like this is primarily a comedy and not a horror because I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah but yeah uh and uh, not that it isn't effective at times as horror like kind of surprisingly almost accidentally uh it, it has those creepy moments like her out of focus disappearing into the woods and uh or just the long scene of like them traveling by with the torch guy yeah just pitch blackness no 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 signpost. No way. Yeah, yeah, no signpost. Nothing you could see that you could possibly use to get your bearings. And just the the deep vibes of every time there's a scene of driving, because you know that car accidents are sort of central to whatever is going on in this place, and it's always deeply ominous, and it's just kind of like there there's a, a total lack of communication at every point with everyone. Yeah, nobody, not one person coherently communicates a thought to another one yeah and there's a lot of screaming and laughing and grunting like there, there's very little dialogue in this movie very I, very little I, <laughs> there's yeah I, I watched with subtitles and you don't need to 
No, and and I feel like it's partially improvisational, but I think maybe a big part of it is that it's like these old movies where they maybe didn't have sync sound most of the time. So it's like, oh, could be. We we just don't want to have dialogue, so we'll we'll keep it really simple. Like obviously that's not the way they had to do it here, but I think it's paying tribute to it's, that. Like I do yeah, think it's, that kinda... it's riffing on those things. Could be, yeah. It's like a, um, a Coleman Francis or, a, uh, you know, like sub Ed Wood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely talking about it doesn't do it justice. No, you, yeah, it is. It's such a trip. Uh, and like, it does get funnier on rewatching <laughs> guaranteed. At the very least look up Oregonian, like a look up on YouTube, like the dude pissing. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it would even be on there because it's. This isn't oh, like yeah. a super well-known movie, but. Well. Uh, yeah, maybe not, but also everything's on YouTube. True, but it, it's just like you. You have to see it for a handful of scenes that are amazing, especially if you're into this kind of goofy regional horror stuff, because it obviously comes from a place of love. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, any uh, final thoughts on? the Oregonian before we move on to our third part. Yeah. I, I, when I watched it the second time, I started taking notes and I was like, you know what? I'm going to come up with a theory of what this movie was about. (laughs) It won't make sense, but I'm going to make one up. And I couldn't, I couldn't even do it. Like, I feel like she's just like, the best I can do is that this whole thing is a hallucination that she's flashing back to just before she dies. And she's yeah. just imagining all this crazy stuff from other shit that's happened in her life. I, uh, it's, Maybe. It's def- I, I would say uh, an, an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge variation is definitely in the mix. Uh, that's the you know flashback. Uh, last moments before death and they're experiencing all of this surreal stuff, uh, even though they're actually at that time experiencing the moment of death. Mm-hmm. Uh and it definitely has a lot of that, especially with the the gray area with the beeping that makes uh, that they drive into at the end and whatever happens. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, that's the best I could come up with. And I I can't really come up. I, I, I wouldn't want to present this as my thesis. No, no, no. Uh, I can't uh, really support this argument that well. No. And I mean, like, I'm someone who has written a university essay on a David Lynch movie on Inland Empire, actually, which is kind of like this in its sprawl. Mm, okay. <laughs> that's, that's a difficult one. Uh, but that one, I was able to put some theories together and this one intentionally does not have uh grounding for that stuff. <laughs> it's like if Al Adamson found a bunch of scenes from a David Lynch movie, but didn't know what order they were supposed to go together in. Maybe. And took some creative license. Because, like, there, there's just no way any of it fits together in any mm. real sense or form. But uh, it's it's such a fun like, trip. I, I thought it might be a time loop but the at first, but no, the, the, that doesn't work. It seems to be a space loop. Because, like, the, it does seem to be, like, the road turns back around somewhere. Like, it, it's a road that goes all the way around the world. Like, uh, Oh, yeah. Like my own private Idaho, this road goes all around the world. But yeah, uh, I love it. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's such a weird vibe. It's so funny. Yeah, uh, I I really like it. Azo, any last thoughts before we head to part two? No, I'm good. All right. And we're back for part three, where we're talking about movies we've watched in the past week and deciding what we're going to watch next week. Uh, and we've got 11 options for oh, wow. second part picks. Uh, okay. First up, uh, Batman 1966. Oh, one of my favorites. Such a classic, just a pure delight. Uh, the designs, the music. I love all the acting, like the the villain actors in Batman 66 are just such an incredible murderer's row of talent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the whole <laughs> oh, plot. Getting rid of the bomb. Uh, solving oh, the Riddler's the riddle. Oh, uh, the bat shark repellent. Uh, the, the, that they dehydrate their goons into piles right. of sand. And then <laughs> like they rehydrate them with the wrong type of water. So they explode on contact. <laughs> And, and they like swap the UN uh, dignitaries. They screw up at the end. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's like this. And nobody great moment. seems to notice. No, they're they're like near a window and they're like, this didn't really work out. It's like, let's go out the window. And they sneak <laughs> out the window and that's how it ends. That's amazing. <laughs> but like Batman falling in love with Catwoman as Kitka, you know, kitty cat. Obviously, yeah. he. he how does he miss it? Uh, especially when he completely sees through the penguin's disguise. There's that. That's one of my oh, favorite yeah, parts right. in the movie. Well, Robin, this is obviously the penguin. <laughs> uh, but like he falls in love with her as Kitka. And then later during the climax, he realizes it's her. He finally puts it together. And you just have like this moment where it like zooms into his face. And it's like him <laughs> having this long flashback. Like, and then he just immediately goes back into the fight scene. It's so good. Oh, I know it's not her in this movie, but casting Eartha Kitt as Catwoman is... Oh, she's a great one. Yeah, this one's Lee Merriweather, I believe. Okay. They they had, like, five different Catwomans in the I series. I think there were three. Uh, no, Julie Newmar was one of Julie them, Julie Newmar, believe. yeah, I think it's those three. Julie Newmar, Lee Merriweather, and Eartha Kitt, I believe. But yeah, like, just Eartha Kitt, Kitty Cats... She's so good. Yeah, yeah <laughs> uh, no, it's a it's a classic. Yeah, great movie. Uh, next up is The Meg, starring Jason Statham. Oh. Uh, ancient shark. You know, it's a megalodon. Uh, they 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 discover that what they thought was the bottom of the Marianas Trench is just like a layer of fog, and they find below that there's all these huge uh antediluvian monsters and there's this ancient shark that comes up and you know right. battles and devours a bunch of scientists it's kind of deep blue sea-esque in in that regard because there's it's it's kind of like it's attacking the sea lab 2021 okay. <laughs> uh there's way too many noble sacrifice scenes it takes itself way too seriously for most of the runtime before it heads to party beach like <laughs> at the end the shark just heads for the biggest party beach in the world and just Reeks mayhem. <laughs> All right. It's trash, but you know it has its moments. Hmm. Cool. Uh, next up, I watched the first two Stanley Kubrick films. First of them, Fear and Desire. Okay. So this is an art film. 
uh, an art film is basically a student film when you're not a student and have never been in a classroom. <laughs> Uh, he'd never worked on a movie before. He just watched every movie that came out and he decided he wanted to make one. Uh, that was a thing you could do back in those days. Yeah, but just it's... Just watch every movie. Yeah, and he, he like had a friend who he went to elementary school with who was a playwright. So he like got a script from him. So it's really stagey dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> it's all post-dubbed, shot silent and post-dubbed. Kind okay. of incoherent, very weirdly structured. It's sort of a war movie, but like at the beginning, there's this Twilight Zone-esque narration about how this is not any specific war. It's just a war of the mind. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, there are these soldiers behind enemy lines and uh, they they encounter a girl and one of the guys goes crazy and kills the girl and oh, no. they, they're going to go assassinate these enemy leaders and they assassinate the enemy leaders and they're going to go get away on a raft. I don't know. It's, it's not okay. good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I will say this, that it, it genuinely isn't good. It clearly is made by someone who has never had any sort of experience making a movie before. It's really weirdly put together. Uh, it, it's sort of incoherent, but it's interesting. Like it, it, there, there's clearly something there. It's just totally unformed yet. Okay. So then the next one he made was Killer's Kiss. And it's kind of a weird structure, too. Uh, it, it's a noir movie, though. So okay. more smartly, he went with a genre film. Uh, right. it, it's very beautifully shot, super atmospheric. Uh, it's kind of just all atmosphere. There's these two people who live in New York apartments that just look out into each other's apartments. These, you know, That's where their windows are. And okay. you see each of them seeing the other one uh and sort of admiring the other one uh like you, you see the woman first seeing the guy uh and admiring him and then later you see him admiring her uh it, it, it's it's sort of interesting it's reminiscent of i think we watched this one time lonesome this silent film lonesome with these two people oh, who yeah. live on either side of a wall and are just extremely lonely and they meet each other at the carnival but then happen to lose each other in the rush and don't know and have no idea how to reconnect until it turns out they just live on either side of a wall. I, I remember that. That was yeah, that, that was a while ago. And it's kind of got that feel, except it's this noir where there's threats somewhere. Like it, it's this murky idea of a threat somewhere on the horizon. And then suddenly everything just happens at once. There's gunfights and chases. They have an axe fight in a mannequin warehouse that's fucking incredible. Right on. It's a weird movie, like a very strange structure, but like all of a sudden, it look, all of this stuff happens. And the whole thing looks kind of incredible, like just tons and tons of atmosphere, really great use of locations. Okay. Uh, he sort of disowned it ultimately because he still felt it wasn't really a fully fledged film. He kind of thinks of the next one as his first proper movie. Uh, what, what is the next one? The Killing, which we'll talk about in uh, the next part. Oh. Uh, so uh, next up here is Faceless. Uh, <laughs> when somebody has taken their face off. It, it's a guy taking faces off. You you see some faces getting peeled off gruesomely. Uh, it's a very gory 80s slasher. And it's a riff on Eyes Without a Face, really famous movie from the 50s. Okay. So there's this, this plastic surgeon 
and he botched some lady's plastic surgery. So she comes to splash acid on him, but she misses and gets his sister. So he's abducting fashion models and skinning them, like removing their faces so they can rebuild her face. Okay. It's it's really high fashion. Like uh, it, it's a Jess Franco, but it's a late period Jess Franco. It's really high budget for him. Uh, the the this the goop that they uh, inject into people because you know it's an experimental surgery so it's like a yeah. reanimator esque fluid it's like bright green of uh, course it, it's very colorful really high fashion kind of like uh, uh, an 80s giallo oh interesting cool uh, next couple I finished the Doris Wishman box so first of those we've got keyholes are for peeping. I thought they were for keys. <laughs> but they're also for peeping. Uh, oh. The hole is for peeping. <laughs> I've been using doors the wrong way this whole time. Right. you, you got to listen to the building superintendent. So the, it's it's about this dude who oddly also plays his mother and mother-in-law in the movie. Like, this is this guy in a bunch of different roles. Oh, uh, he's uh, Eddie Murphying it? Yeah, but like Doris Wishman style, so it's... Like, obviously just him with a wig. Uh, <laughs> and, like, still the same five o'clock shadow and everything. Oh, okay. And he gets a mail-order marriage counseling certificate, which he puts up right next to his mail-order karate certificate. <laughs> and he's he decides to just advise all of his neighbors on their marriages. Oh, that that's a great idea. And, like, it's mostly just a way to string a bunch of long, softcore sex scenes together more than anything else. Uh, <laughs> you, you have the building superintendent always peeping in through the keyhole on things. And then, like, he'll come in and there will be a bunch of amusing malapropisms and he won't understand what someone's saying. And he'll, like, the guy tries to coach him on dating and he says a bunch of weird off-color things. And he's like, no, no, not that. It's goofball. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, last one in that set is Love Toy. Ooh, this one's messed up. Uh, there's a gambler who's uh, playing a really high-stakes round of gin rummy, and he's lost his entire fortune in it. Uh, he's lost oh. the house, he's lost his business, uh, and the the really intense other guy, uh, th this guy's teenage daughter comes home, so he uh, gets him to roll on... Uh, double or nothing, and he gets the daughter for a night and gets the the, the rest of his uh, empire back. And of course, the he he loses, and they the guy doesn't want to do it, but the rich weirdo who wins ties him up to a chair. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then, like, he goes in to like be, have he basically has the daughter do a bunch of role play to deal with his psychological issues. Like he, oh, the, the kitten no. who ran away when, as a kid is like, you be my kitten. Uh, and it's a bunch of things like that. And meanwhile, his wife is torturing the guy tied up in the chair. Ultimately, everyone ends up in the daughter's room. Uh, things get weird. Uh, all right. All right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, next up is Forbidden Love, the unashamed stories of lesbian lives. <gasps> this is a, a documentary, Canadian documentary. Okay. It's, it sort of starts with the 50s boom in lesbian pulp novels. Uh, I didn't it, know that was a thing. 
most of them were heavily moralistic and would end with the women being punished. Uh, but some of them were not. But it, it, either way, it kind of was a sexual awakening for a lot of people. So it sort of talks about them a little bit. And I would say definitely the best parts are when they're just showing a bunch of covers of these. Uh, there are some reenactments of sequences, but like not erotic or anything. It's just sort of like giving you sort of an idea of the vibe. Uh, okay. And they're very stiffly done. It feels like reenactments <laughs> of crimes from Unsolved Mysteries. Oh. <laughs> and like the most interesting thing is it has a lot of interviews with women who did have sexual awakenings reading these in the 50s and 60s. So like they're sort of lesbian pioneers in 60s Canada and sort of talking about that experience. Okay. There is one lady who was in a band and like all her bandmates were male uh, and they like all got really mad at her and turned against her because she got laid more than they did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up is two undercover angels. It's another Jess Franco movie. Oh, is this about the, the two guys from the first season of preacher? <laughs> oh yeah. Those guys are undercover angels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is two cat burglar spy ladies. Oh, uh, they're the red lips. Uh, it has a lot of nudity, not as much as some of his later stuff. Uh, these girls are after an evil pop artist who has a werewolf companion. They've been kidnapping women, fashion models, I think, mainly. And like the the werewolf will savage them while the guy takes pictures and then uses them for inspiration in his art. OK, <laughs> very heightened, very ridiculous. It's kind of like a satire of the 60s spy movies. So like a. a goofy uh euro spy caper but like not fully coherent <laughs> okay next is a nightmare on elm street for the dream master oh we fought the or we saw the dream warriors now we get to see their master right so you saw dream warriors and uh you know how uh freddy is dealt with at the end you might recall uh, i don't know i don't but <laughs> <laughs> they bury him they they ultimately oh, okay. they they bury him in supposedly consecrated ground or whatever right. uh he is revived in this movie by a dog named jason notably interesting uh, and in a nightmare the dog pisses fire on his grave that revives him <laughs> okay <laughs> it's a rennie harlan movie i don't know if you're familiar with him he's uh renowned for style over substance and it's ultra 80s style uh the effects are super grody i think like it looks kind of amazing uh it, it's just the the plot and the characterization and the dialogue and everything that happens is total gobbledygook <laughs> <laughs> all right uh it, it, so freddie finishes off all of the original kids of the parents on elm street who killed him and right. so he finds this lady, the dream master, and he can get her to pull people into her dreams for him to kill, I guess. Kind of a jerk move. Yeah, it's not very good, but, you know, it's kind of fun. The, the thing right. about the, the Elm Street movies is they're all at a pretty high level of quality, even if they're kind of crap. There is still like high end films like the, the, the oh, effects. It's, it's well made crap. Requires it. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, comparatively, last up is 2007's Halloween, the Robert Zombie remake. Oh, dig through the ditches and burn <laughs> through the witches and slam with the back of my Michael. It's so like he's trying to do it in a realistic fashion, but like in the same way that Peter Jackson did King Kong and like built so much lore and, and backstory into it. Oh, yeah, like, you were telling me about this. You you spend the entire first hour with Michael as a kid. You see him talk. You see him being a budding serial killer. He's killing neighborhood pets. He kills a schoolmate. Like, he kills a good five people before he's institutionalized in the movie, which is, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the The problem is that, like, you spend all this extra time with him. And the movie's two hours long, which is too long for Halloween to be. Oh, yes. And, and we learn nothing about him. Like, even though we spend all this time with him, there we still have no further insight into how he becomes a supernatural boogeyman. Like, right. you see that he came from kind of a nasty home, but it's not, like, extreme or anything. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't get it. And okay. then, like, the rest of it's just a slight remix of the original. Like, it's just everyone saying fuck a whole lot more, and there's no <laughs> fun to be had. Like, it's it's very serious and not fun at all. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. Like, it's just garbage. Fucking all garbage. Right. Oh. <laughs> I want to like it, because I do like House of a Thousand Corpses, but I've just not enjoyed any of the other Rob Zombie movies I've seen. He's, he's got a style, but... It's distinct. I don't like it. Yeah, I like appreciate I, it, but I don't I'm not into it. It's it's heavily derived from Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Last House on the Left and like the really gnarly 70s horror. But like those were gnarly because they were pushing boundaries. And now you just don't have those boundaries to push anymore. You just make it gross and unpleasant. And it's not fun to watch <laughs> like i i watch horror for fun and not to be grossed out like it's not scary it's just unpleasant <laughs> that's sort of the big problem with those things they, they they try to make it extreme and they make it extreme but it's just like i'm not having fun why am i even watching this right okay yeah that i, w I was actually thinking about it because i was like well it could be fun to riff on this but not if the movie's not fun it really isn't so, those are our 11 picks. What do you figure? Um, is there anything that you'd say is comparably fun to Batman 66? Because I want to watch a, like a fun movie. And uh, I, I, know, mean, I know I'll get that with Batman 66. It's definitely the most fun of the bunch, for sure. Uh, the, the only one that's even sort of fun-oriented would be Nightmare on Elm Street 4. The rest of them are like I would say Two Undercover Angels is relatively fun, but it's kind of completely incoherent 60s nonsense. Okay. Uh, and the Meg is fun at the end, but it's way too self-serious on the way there. Nightmare uh, on Street like, 4 is pretty aware of how silly it is. Yeah, that's the thing with Jason Statham. He's, he's not really fun. Sometimes he is like I enjoyed the Transporter movies when those came out and like he was in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels and he was pretty amusing there like mm. in, in his early Guy Ritchie roles. Oh, yeah, I guess his earlier stuff before he became Jason like, Statham. <laughs> yeah, like the B-lister action star. Yeah, I mean, he has a whole interesting sub career that people are totally unaware of. I feel Um, I'm unaware of it. Yeah. Uh, well, 
you know what? Let, let's let's do some Batman. The right, last Batman, Batman we did was Batman Forever. I think that's the only other Batman we did. And it's heavily inspired by Batman 66. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was amazed at how much when I when we watched it that time. Oh, yeah. OK, so uh, in the main stacks, we've only got a uh, couple editions. First is The Killing, uh, sort of the, the one Kubrick considers his first proper film. OK. Uh, another noir movie. This one's a meticulously planned planned heist of a horse race track. Okay. Uh, where like you have all of these different guys, you set them up very clearly. It's a very sharp trajectory. It's like super well plotted, and you see like how one little thing can cause everything to go completely fucking awry. Uh, really cool. good noir, just like a, a fucking great noir. <laughs> all right. Uh, next up, Mansion of the Living Dead, another Jess Franco. Cool. Uh, uh, this one has four strippers, who go to stay at this huge Spanish resort hotel that's supposed to be fully booked, but it's completely empty, Hmm. eerily empty all the time. Uh, And two of them get murdered. So the other two have to figure out what's happening. And none of them could expect it's the Spanish Inquisition. (gasps) Wait, actually? Yeah, it's the ghosts of the Spanish Inquisition haunting (laughs) this giant mansion. Nice. Uh, Next up is Out of Order. Another one with four people. There's a woman and her boyfriend who are in a fight, and then two other dudes get on an elevator, and then they get trapped in the elevator. Okay. And it's a Friday night, and they know that no one's going to be in the building to check on the elevator until Monday morning, so they're going to have to find their own way out. Oh, dear. (laughs) It's a German movie, from what I understand. Very intense and claustrophobic. supposed to be great. And last one up is Kiss Me Monster. There's another Jess Franco. (laughs) (laughs) Going hard on the Jess Franco. This is the sequel to Two Undercover Angels. Again, The Red Lips. Uh, I, tr- I I read some synopses of it. My understanding is this movie is completely incoherent. <laughs> They're, the characters just get involved in this plot and they can't figure out what it is because every time they go to talk to someone, they get a knife in their back. The person mm-hmm. that they're talking to. Uh, so they're never able to figure out what's happening in the movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nice, nice. Uh, so what do you figure for our main pick next week? Um, well, I just randomly clicked on one of them, uh, Joint Security Air Area, di- directed by Park Chan-wook. Mm-hmm. I've seen stuff of his before, haven't I? But, uh, he directed Old Boy. Oh, that's what it was. I-, I couldn't remember if that was him or Bong Joon-ho. So, okay. Why don't we do that? Let's uh, let's do something Korean we haven't done in a while. All right, cool. So Joint Security Area is about the DMZ between North and South Korea. Uh, and and uh, it, it's it's about an incident in between, like some ki- some North Korean soldiers are killed and they're doing an investigation into how this happened. And obviously very perilous kind of thing. Right, right. I mean the the uh, tension between north and south korea even today is freaking yeah yeah it's it's yeah. tense and and this is 2000 and it was considerably more tense then uh so yeah uh should be very interesting and is from park chan wook who is a south korean director yeah and old boy is one like the original is one of my favorite movies of all time that movie is so good oh, it's so good <laughs> what an intense uh conclusion to a film Oh, my God. Uh, I don't even want to. <laughs> ah. 
the scene of the, those uh, snippers close. Uh, so next week on the stacks, we'll be talking about joint security area and Batman 66. <laughs> It'll be a bit of a contrast, I think. Yeah, that should be a pretty good time. Uh, all right. So any last thoughts before we close up for this week? Yeah, live it. <laughs> live it. Whatever uh, it is, live it. Just live it. Uh, all right. Uh, thanks so much, everyone. And uh, I'm all right. Probably had too much breakfast.